What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast hosted by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, who is currently sponsored by Connexus Credit Union. I'm Mitch, and I'm one of one third of your regular hosts that you hear every single week next to my pals Kyle and Boozy. Boozy's out sick this week with a tummy flu. Don't worry, he's safe and sound. He doesn't have the coronavirus. He's just not feeling well today. Uh, but filling in for him, we have our friend who's a professional artist and graphic designer, Seb Terrio of Stereo Design. If I'm going to be honest, I would have loved to see this entire series through with Scott on the mic with us. Uh, he was on for the first Nightmares episode. Uh, he's one of those few people who I know that truly loves A Nightmare on Elm Street, flaws and all. He'll marathon this entire franchise front to back on a regular occasion, just like I will. He loves this shit, and I hope I can grab a beer with him when all this stuff clears over, and I can just convince him to talk Nightmare on Elm Street at me, because he will have already heard my thoughts, but I want to hear everything that he has to say. But I had no choice but to invite my friend Seb Asterio on for this particular episode. I shit you not, my friendship with Seb was built entirely around these movies, but specifically Dream Warriors. We've been talking horror movies and specifically Nightmare for almost 10 years online now. I met Seb when he designed some merch for my band. He also did all of our artwork for our second album, but it wasn't until I had made a Facebook post about Aliens in 2010 that Seb and I really started talking. He designed a t-shirt that had an obscure Nightmare on, Fo Nightmare on Elm Street 4 design on it that I wore the day I met Robert England for the first time. He also had designed all of the artwork for the Terror Table and has been a key component to this podcast even happening in the first place. But to paint a picture for you, Seb is like the main cast of Stranger Things, but all assembled into one person and French and now a graphic designer. Seb has designed artwork for No Effects, Lagwagon, Joe Dante, Danny Trejo, and the Trailer Park Boys. Most of these artists just stumbled upon him, noticed how talented he is, and immediately hired him. He is even working on some really cool horror-related artwork that is yet to be announced. He refuses to market himself, and I think if he did, he would be a gigantic name in the pop culture art world. It's actually really annoying how talented this guy is. The first half of this, uh, the first half hour of this episode is the three of us just sharing some recommendations of things that we've watched recently, and then we dive right into Dream Warriors and then close the episode off with a conversation on the Dream Master. Seb is like a walking nightmare in Elm Street encyclopedia, so we really hope you guys enjoy this super fun and informative conversation that we had with him. If you want to follow Seb, you can do so at Stereo Design on Instagram and Facebook. I think he's on Twitter as well. Just search up Stereo Design, and if you want to get in contact with him, send us a message at The Terror Table. We're available on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Terror Table. In more exciting news, though, we are thrilled to announce that we will be releasing another interview episode with a very special guest this coming Friday. On the next episode, we'll be welcoming Gregory James Thomas to the show. Greg is a record producer and owner of Silver Bullet Studios out of Burlington, Connecticut. He is also the guitarist of the hardcore supergroup End, which features members of Counterparts, Fit for an Autopsy, and Misery Signals. Greg has also previously been in bands like The Risk Taken, Shy Halud, and Misery Signals. Greg is a massive horror fan, and the three of us have been huge fans of him and his musical endeavors for a long time. We actually couldn't be more excited to talk to Greg about horror movies, and specifically, his top five favorite black and white horror movies. So if you haven't, if you haven't yet, be sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're currently listening on. Uh, make sure you never miss an episode. But until then, let's just all kick back, daydream a little, and enjoy this week's episode of The Terror Table.
And we're back. Another episode of The Terror Table. And this voice you're hearing is Mitch. And I got my pal Kyle with me. Where are you at, Kyle? I'm in um, I'm in my room. It's I'm doing well. That's good. And we got our pal Seb. Seb Terrio, all the way from Moncton, New Brunswick, joining us today. Ooh, Seb! Seb! Say Seb. something. Say something for real, Seb. Oof. Um, I'm legit here. I'm not CGI. Uh, I brought back my uh, my great accent that had such a good um, good reviews last time. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, people loved you. Everyone. Uh, well, I'm I'm sure I cover all this in the intro, but uh, Seb's the guy who designed our Terra Table logo. Been friends for a long time. Uh, last time we saw the only time we've seen each other in person was you were here last. You were here in November for the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival. Uh, you came here for the week and you spent time in my condo with me and Courtney and the rest of us. And we went and saw like 23 movies at the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival. We met Joe Dante and Belinda Belaski. Uh, Seb designed an incredible piece of artwork for Joe Dante. Uh, that was like a monumental weekend for you, hey? Yeah, that was crazy. And you can you hear were... Kruger drinking water in the back. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, Seb's, Seb's puppy's name is Kruger. Yeah, and he's drinking like a motherfucker right now. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That that weekend in um, in Saskatoon was still crazy, and uh, especially now, like I was looking back. You know, I know you follow me on social media because we're kind of friends, but yeah. I always do like that that recap every year. I post pictures of everything I've done, shows I've seen, movies, people I've met. There's always a bunch. Always a huge, a huge year. And looking at it now, I'm like man. 2020 is gonna suck hard. Like I haven't done anything. It's like, well, I went to the kitchen, then I went yeah. outside for a bit, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's weird, but uh, yeah, to go back to Saskatoon, man, it was such a good time. Like I keep looking back at videos, like that friggin' video of me uh, helping that girl with the zipper, and uh... <laughs> yeah, these are all in. That's a little inside joke that we can't add context to, but yeah, we we had a ton like of we fun. Sh- we should post the zipper video. I think yeah, the infamous zipper video should be posted. Yeah, it's a great video. It's uh, yeah, but all oh man, all the movies, so many movies that I came back home and I was just like, man, telling my friends, I can't wait for you guys to watch. I can't wait to watch this movie with you guys, but it will be months. So now, uh, Bud Boy is available. So that's <laughs> one I can't wait to watch with friends. But now, obviously, we can't get together, so still have to wait longer and. Yeah, and it's not it's not the same to watch Butt Boy on uh, Skype with your friends. Like you got to watch it in person yeah. with your buddies. Well, on Skype is still better than than just watching it by yourself and then talking about it. You need to have some interaction during like. Oh man, that was such a good time. Oh my god. Yeah, that dude. Package the same evening. Yeah, Scout Package and Butt Boy in the same night. That was unbelievable. Yeah, and then obviously meeting Joe Dante, which is like one of my god. Um, just, just seeing him was incredible, but just, um, hanging out with him in his, uh, private lounge or whatever, with you just in the corner, just taking pictures and not saying much. Oh yeah. man, that was crazy. Like, it's one of the craziest things. Like you, you, you don't, you never think growing up that one of your, you could just hang out and talk movies with your idols. Like I've been to a lot of conventions and obviously you, you can get stuff signed and you can chit chat with them a little bit, but then there's a there's a line behind you and you need to move on or whatever. But man, just sitting here with like for what like 30, 40 minutes, just straight up geeking out about these movies and everything. And yeah, dude, was, you you straight up you had 
you had a private conversation with Joe Dante and Belinda Belaski for 40 minutes before they introed Gremlins to an entire theater. Like yeah, that's was, that's unbelievable that that happened. Insane. And it's it's one of those things, you know. It's easy to say, "Oh yeah, I'm a big fan." But I think during that weekend, you saw it was a real because I geeked out so much, brought so many like like questions that were super deep, and like, dude, oh man, it was just like. Even Belinda was like, "Oh, it's that guy again!" Like, yeah. <laughs> no, you're you're the bit after we we exchanged email because uh, remember, I think you were sitting next to me after your oh no after your Q and A. She um she she came to the the front of the stage and she waved at me and she gave me a card with her email. So we're like, we need to talk more or whatever. She just and we exchanged email for a bit and so that was cool. That's and amazing. So you weird. picked up you picked up Belinda Blasky's digits. Yeah, was well, hard though, because even uh, your sister and uh, Courtney, everyone was trying to figure out her email because she wrote it and nobody could could figure it out. <laughs> Whoa, that's so funny. That's the exact thing that happened to me, actually. And yeah, then, she uh, gave Kyle. Well, a, she, Kyle took them on a, a tour of our art center in Saskatoon here, and the same thing happened to him. Yeah, she like gave me her email and maybe even a website. I think a website, and I couldn't read the handwriting, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to bring oh. that up before, but uh, you said it first, so I feel okay saying it now. Because <laughs> yeah, we we gotta we gotta get going. We gotta start talking about horror movies. But I want to start off with a quick short story here. I want to set the stage for you guys. But uh, so last time Seb was here to offer some context for you all, I took Seb and our friend Bryson out for. Uh, is Bryson's a listener of the show, a good friend of ours. He mm-hmm. also tra- he traveled here. Um, he yeah he Bryson came here all the way from Utah. And uh, to spend time at the film festival with us as well. And I took them out for some famous Saskatoon poutine. And when we went, when we went for poutine at this place, I uh, I snuck outside after my meal. I was going outside for a hoot. And uh, I guess Seb had told. I guess the waitress came up and said, "Is everything okay? Like, what's going on?" And Seb had decided to tell her, "Oh yeah, everything's fine. Our friend just has a problem with explosive diarrhea." So he said that I needed to go outside to ship myself. <laughs> so I said you were too shy to go to to the washroom or something. So yet you, you went next door or something or yeah. Yeah. Okay. So to set the stage for you guys, um, yesterday it's COVID nineteen. <laughs> I <laughs> new went, season. <laughs> I went to uh, I went to get my tires switched over at Cal Tire on Eighth Street. This is very local, but I'm gonna try to be quick about this. Yeah, but I went to go get my tires switched over. I, my appointment was at 8.45 in the morning. Um, that was probably the earliest I've been up in a very long time because, you know, as everyone who's kind of working from home or not working or all that kind of stuff, they, you, you're up super late and you wake up super, super late. I ended up going to, uh, to get my tires switched over and I was really out of it. And I get there and the guys had told me that you can't come inside. You have to wait outside while we do this. So I was like, okay, obviously. So I guess I'll just, I'll go for a walk or something. So I decided to go for a walk around the neighborhood. I had my headphones on. Um, I was listening to our pals in Erie international walking down the block. And, um, we're really close to some, like that place is really close to some really nice trails. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to get a good walk in. So I'm walking and about 10 minutes into my walk, my stomach drops. I'm in the middle of nowhere and I get this shooting pain in my stomach and it is the most unholy pain I've ever felt. 
And you guys, like, I, I kid you not, I'm like, okay, I got to turn around and I got to go and try and get into Caltire. I got to go to the washroom. I need to use their washroom. As you guys know, it's COVID-19. They don't let people use washrooms right now. Oh, my car is in the shop. I'm about 20 minutes driving distance from my house. Um, I have no options. You guys, I had to turn into a fucking alleyway and I had to pull my pants down and I Reagan McNeil projectile vomited shit out my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, god i'm sorry i'm sorry for the graphic description you guys but i i had the worst stomach ache ever and it just came out of nowhere and i had no other option so i'm in the middle of fucking nowhere i don't even know what street this is and i just projectile shit and then i had to walk out into the middle of the street and i it's like think about covid19 the streets are completely empty and i could see people inside their houses and like peeking out their blinds and they quickly shutting them as I'm walking down the middle of the street. It was like 28 days later and I just wanted to scream, somebody help me. And, uh, so yeah. I need to know, I need to know what the cleanup situation was like. Socks. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was my Fair only enough. option. It was my no, only that, option. That checks out. That's a real, that was actually thinking on your feet. That's good. Yeah, I had to do it. And, uh, yeah, it was it was horrible. I've been sick as hell the last 20, 20 uh, hours. I know Boozy's sick as well. That's why he's not here. Um, I don't know if he has the same thing as I do because it's not COVID. It's a stomach flu. Uh, but uh, that was that was a Wild. so far so far the worst thing I've had to deal with in COVID nineteen. Huh. Uh, but I want I yeah. felt like I needed to share that story now that Seb is here because it uh, it kind of yeah. speaks full to circle. the story that you made up about myself. Yeah, it's full circle. Now it's true. Now I'm not a liar anymore. Yeah. So uh, there you guys go. I'm sorry if anyone was eating breakfast while listening to this, but uh, let's add to this. Actually, uh, my neighbor, something similar happened to my neighbor years ago and it was winter time. And he, he had time to rush between two houses and that's it. And he, it was happening. And uh, he had a winter coat. that was like a one piece. So he just unzipped the whole thing and dropped it. And uh, once he was done, he got dressed again and he started walking. And he was like, and that's a real story. That's not like, like, that's not made up. I know. I well, my story sounds made up. I swear to God, I wish it was. I yeah, wish I was making this up. Yeah, but just wait. Um, as he was walking away, we're like, fuck, still smells like shit. What the hell? <laughs> Turns out when he dropped his thing, he, he shat in his fucking hoodie. Oh, no. <laughs> he was carrying this shit with him. <laughs> So yeah, that was amazing. Oh, That's so gross! Oh my god. Okay, so that'll be it for the toilet humor today. Um, let's get on to what we've been up to. So, uh, Seb, what have you? I know you have been incredibly busy during COVID nineteen. Uh, yeah. What have you? What have you been up to though? You, you have you watched anything? Not much. Uh, I, as you know, and as some listeners know, I also have a podcast here in Moncton. It's French. It's called Trudkult. And uh, same thing, we talk about cult movies, and uh, but it got canceled for six weeks. We were able to go back to the studio like two weeks ago, because actually New Brunswick, just like Saskatoon, is doing pretty well with COVID, right? Yeah, we are. We're not too bad, but you're definitely in better shape than we are. Yeah, because uh, like two weeks ago, last week, we had everyone was uh, was okay. Like there was no active cases, and uh, nobody died. Uh, now we got two two cases, but they're under control and whatever, so it's not bad. So we're able to open up a bit more. The malls are open now. We can go back to restaurants. We have a bubble. Everyone can pick a bubble family, so two houses can 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 sh- 
can just go to each other's house and hang out and whatever. And uh, so things are opening opening up, so that's good. As for me, uh, through the whole thing, I was so busy with work because, um, you know, I don't really have a safety net. I'm just kind of designing stuff and on my own, like, and um, when when it started being apparent that everything was going to close and events would be canceled. I was like, oh, well, shit, like, I mostly do stuff for bands and stuff like that, so obviously they won't be playing, they won't need merch or whatever. So I figured I'm just going to take every every project that I can, because after a while, when I'm getting too busy, I just say no to projects. And obviously, I also have to keep a buffer, because obviously Mitch always going to pop, like, hey, I need this right now for free, whatever. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> But to be fair, you've been doing super well with Photoshop. I'm actually impressed. Like you've been seriously been cranking stuff and learning really fast. Could Thank I you, man. Mostly, and I don't need to do anything anymore, so that's great. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, taking over the role of our Photoshop. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, I just took any movies project. though. Was that? Have you watched movies? Yeah, that's where I was getting. Like, for the the first few weeks, I didn't watch like any movies like uh well first because i was too busy and then i didn't have to watch anything because our podcast was canceled um but i did watch a few things the one you guys talked about that i my the best one i watched was uh we uh the alexander Daddario one we summon the darkness or whatever we summon the darkness yeah with alexander Daddario. yeah i was too busy but when i saw that it was available, and she's my girl, so I just had to watch it. And um, and on what, did, our, what did you think of it? I still haven't talked to you about what you thought. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. I liked it too. Yeah, it a lot fun. of people didn't, but I really liked it. Really? Uh, I it told spoke, my, a bunch of my buddies to watch it, and they all loved it. Yeah, it really spoke. I think it also it speaks to anyone who uh, has been around like a music scene of that kind, like heavy metal or punk or anything like that. Yeah, it, and, and especially if you grew up in, obviously I didn't grow up in the the eighties, but I w I've shown a lot of uh, interest in the satanic panic of the, the eighties and nineties. And they cover that heavily in that film. Yeah. Yeah. Overall it was good. Uh, liked it. Other than that, on our radio show yesterday, we covered the maniac cop series. So, uh, I watched all of that. I've seen it before, but it was a good uh, a good rewatch, and it was interesting to hear what the other two guys on my show had to think about how to say about it. Jeremy only so, watched the first one, but now he's really excited to watch the second one. Have you have you guys watched it? I've seen them all, but Kyle, have you seen Maniac no, Cop? No, I've never seen Maniac. Actually, I've never heard of Maniac Cop. I'm looking oh, it up boy. right now. It's great. It's Cohen. Cohen wrote it. Wrote right. all. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's a good it's a good trilogy for sure. Like the. The first two are amazing. Well, amazing for what they are. Yeah. The third one kind of fell off a little bit, but it's still good to watch it. If if you watch the other two and you liked it, it just wraps the story and everything, so it's good. That's yep. cool. No, this looks interesting. I don't know. I think this is weird. Every now and then there's like a trilogy, like a seminal horror trilogy that I just know nothing about, and this is added to the list. Have you seen Maniac? Like the original um no you've, no, I you've seen the elijah wood one though i was gonna say i've seen the elijah the wood remake. maniac yeah well it's but, the same director as the original right yeah 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 let's take or whatever oh that's interesting so um i'm looking at some of the cast here and like this is cool this is like a this might be a fun watch actually oh the watch the first two like tom hopkins bruce campbell like 
yeah. Robert Starr plays the the maniac. He's like such a he died not long ago, like a few years ago. Right. Yeah. But he was a monster, like <laughs> huge, and he had that condition where his, his jaw was like. Not even sure to explain that, but he had a, a huge friggin' jaw. So when yeah, he looked like he was in Street Fighter at all times. <laughs> when you have a movie and that Bruce Campbell is not your main chin, like he yeah. and Bruce Campbell, that's fucking impressive. Interesting. Yeah. So, it well, is this hard to just, outchin him. This this has like a, this just has like a midnight screening written all over it. You know, like Maniac Cop. <laughs> Maniac <laughs> Cop would be perfect for a midnight screening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah the score is amazing. Like. It's it's one of those movies where New York is like a big character, even though they haven't filmed the whole thing in New York. Like it's just right. yeah. That honestly, the first two movies are really good. It's super fun, um, and it's not just a straight up slasher. Like the there's an investigation going on because the cop is framing Bruce Campbell, who's also a cop. And I won't go into too much details because we, I'm sure, we really want to go get going on our main features, but. Yeah, highly recommend Maniac Cop, at least the first two. Like, wait a minute. There's a they're making a series, a Maniac Cop TV series. Yeah, there's a the, the guy who directed Drive and um, yeah, yeah, Nicholas uh, Winding Refn. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, as far as I know, Maniac Maniac Cop has been like a passion project for him for a oh. very long time. It, it says he's going to be executive producer on the series, so he might direct an episode or two. Who knows? But that's he's, really he's been talking about he's been talking about making this for years, like yeah. a long time. Yeah. And that guy is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. sick. Uh, yeah. Mind if I hop in here? Please. Yeah. Nope. Cool. I watched a couple things. I'll hammer them all off right now. Uh, the other day, I think it was Sunday night, I started watching... This isn't directly horror, but I want to mention it anyways. I started watching the TV show, the TV series on Netflix, Waco. Uh, so Waco, oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. which is based off the true events, um, the Waco siege. Uh, anyone who knows about that, it's a real religious cult. Um, just, I don't want to spoil a single thing about the story for you. If you know nothing about it, this is fucking awesome that you'd get to experience the story from watching it, watching this series, but it's available on Netflix now. Uh, it was written and directed by the, by the Dowdle brothers, John Eric Dowdle and Drew Dowdle. They were the guys who made the Poughkeepsie tapes and as above, so below, which are, right. I, I'm not crazy about the Poughkeepsie tapes. I think it's fine for what it is. I just, it's a little tasteless for me. Like it's, it's, it pushes the boundaries a little out of my comfort zone. Um, but I was a fan of As Above So Blow, and I know I that it's, too. That it's pretty, receiving yeah, yeah, it's receiving some love now. I know a lot of people really didn't like it, but uh I think it's in it's an interesting found footage movie. Like that's the thing a lot of people were really critical about it, but it's like let's get real here. It's a found footage movie about oh, people going to hell. Absolutely, like in that genre, I feel that movie kinda that movie deserves to get more love as time goes on. I could see why maybe in two thousand and fourteen, like why that would maybe fall into the radar a little bit because Well yeah, it's another found footage movie and I mean it's yeah, like doing a zombie movie in twenty eighteen. No one gives a fuck. Yeah, but, which I'll uh, talk about soon as well. Um <laughs> I but, think it's so funny that these guys also directed this movie No Escape with Owen Wilson and Lake Bell. That's a terrible Okay, so movie. I you watch it? I've heard it's really good. No I've never it, seen it. Uh, it's pretty bad. Okay, well, either way, they did, like, man, they they really fucking up their game for that. This is a huge wow. step up. Uh, so this series, it's starring Taylor Kish uh, from the Friday Night Lights series. He was also John Carter. Uh, they were trying to make him big, and he just kept on swinging and missing over the years. I don't think that, he's a bad actor, though. 
It's What's so that? funny to me how often Friday Night Lights comes up on this show. Like, it yeah, literally it's great... <laughs> it comes up all the time. Sorry. Continue. Texas Forever. Two brothers living large. Texas Forever. And it's also starring Michael Shannon, uh, Andrea Riseborough, and Rory Culkin, and Julia Garner. So Julia Garner's been making huge waves with uh, Ozark lately. Um, she's also in the... There's a new film called The Assistant, which I think is loosely based off of the Harvey Weinstein case. Uh, it's a really depressing film. Uh, but yeah, so this one, I just think it's great, great acting across the board. It's tight and cohesive, informed storytelling. I think it's intense and heartbreaking, fascinating. And above all else, it's super tragic. I ended up watching this entire series Sunday night. I wow. stayed, I started it at 7 p.m. and I ended up watching all six episodes. And uh, I just thought it was a really great six hour story. It's tragic, though. It's 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 extremely upsetting. Um, but I think that they did a really good job, uh, telling the story and I highly recommend people check it out. So that's wake Waco, which is on you're, Netflix. You're, uh, f- uh, neglecting one seminal, uh, cast member in this, in this series, uh, John Leguizamo who plays Sid right, in yeah. Ice Age. So that's pretty yes. cool. John Leguizamo is a great actor. I, really I, I really like him. But I feel he, like John Leguizamo is a better Mark Ruffalo. Okay, I can't go that far. I, I like Mark Ruffalo. I know you don't, but I'm, he just is. Gonna, I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it down there. I'm I'm oh. a, I'm on Team Luigi. Yeah, let me say he is the best person to play Luigi yet for sure. So, uh, but yeah, that was Waco. Going on from that, uh, I need to pretty much just agree with everything that our friend Scott Hamilton said on the previous episode on our Nightmare series about Blood Quantum, uh, which is written and directed by Jeff Barnaby. Uh, I also watched his movie, his first, I liked Blood Quantum so much, that's a spoiler, because for my discussion that I'm about to open up here, uh, I loved it so much that I went and found his first film that you guys are talking about, Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Uh, not a horror movie, but it's it's definitely, it's set around Halloween, um, so it's a, it's a really interesting movie that, if you're a genre fan, you will still really enjoy Rhymes for Young Ghouls. It's just more of a tragic uh really human story that's just it's just a beautifully told story and um yeah but blood quantum is it's basically it's it's starring a mostly indigenous cast like what scott was saying i'm going to try and not tread on uh, his review too much because if you've heard him talk about it i can pretty much just mirror everything that he said um i think this it's a genre that is fucking massive and by far the most oversaturated out of any subgenre zombie movies um, right next to found footage movies, but this is like, to me, the blood quantum is like the Lake Mungo of like how Lake, what Lake Mungo is to found footage movies is what blood quantum is to zombie movies. And that's actually not even giving it enough credit. Um, I think definitely given where we come from in Saskatchewan, these are very topical. It's a very topical movie. Uh, but I just think this is, it's just one of the, it's the most timely, uh, I'm, I don't even know how to talk about it. It's a fucking amazing zombie movie, you guys. Like it's it's just so know. good. It's so I, good across the board. Have I you haven't seen it yet? yet, so I can't I can't speak on it. And I really like it's actually at the top of my list of things to watch besides things we cover for the show. But I think when there's ever a film in any genre or I don't know, in any era that, you know, tells you know, people's stories well, it always, it's always effective, right? Like no matter, no matter what the content is, if there's something that like gets an idea across or gets something that maybe isn't covered enough to someone that, you know, 
could use that knowledge or could use that perspective, it's always going to like hit home really hard. Yeah. And it sounds like this is that kind of film. So I'm really excited. Yeah. And I like people know that I, I have a tendency to, uh, I get really excited about things and I tend to speak very fucking highly or very lowly of things. Like I'm, I'm either one way or the other and I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to do it with this one too. But this is honestly probably my favorite zombie movie since, since day of the dead. Like it's, it's, this is a Romero. Like it's a very, like what Scott was saying, like, this is one of the best representations of this, of the zombie subgenre I've seen in a very long time. And I know a lot of people show, a lot of people it lost them in the in the last half of the movie, like the third quarter of the movie. I I loved it front to back. I thought that the ending was just um, br- like it was. It hurt, and it was. Uh, I just thought it was a beautiful story. And I think that above all else, like what uh, what Scott was saying, that this is a fresh take on the sub zombie subgenre. Right. This is what you should want from a zombie movie. Like going from a zombie movie in 2020 to be able to say something new and fresh. That's unbelievable. That's an incredible feat to be able to say that you did that. And uh, I think that they, he, Jeff Barnaby is an auteur in the making, like what Scott said. I think he, like, it's when Courtney and I were watching it, we actually, like, we would just lean over to each other and be like, what? The? Like, he's just, everything just looks so good. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful to look at. And it's so well, everything's so well portrayed. And the, all of the the social commentary it speaks so loudly, but it's not on the nose, if that makes any sense. Like if, if you're from Saskatchewan or if you're familiar with um, these types of political issues at all, it just it it's it hits you hard and it has so much to say. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I think it's for as of right now, it's my favorite horror movie of the year. Um, I think it's gonna be tough to beat. Like I'm, I'm in love with this movie. I plan on watching it again this week. But I know it's available in Shutter in the U.S. It's not available in Shutter in, uh, in the Canada, but it will be on Crave. Um, but yeah, so I highly recommend both, both Blood Quantum and Rhymes for uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Uh, both awesome movies. The last one I'm going to talk about really quickly is I also checked out another Scott pick, which was Savage Streets, uh, which uh, Seb is a big oh, fan yeah. of as well. Oh yeah. So I can't believe this movie exists. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't believe that I didn't know about this movie. This is one of those 80s gems that's like, how did I, how have I gone my whole life without this movie? Um, it's one of the most, quite possibly one of the trashiest movies I've ever seen. Uh, the story of, story of it is uh, Linda, Linda Blair plays basically a badass rebel high school chick in a, a sort of, they're like a gang of badass chicks and uh, her deaf sister gets brutally, brutally raped and attacked by a group of hooligans. And then it follows Linda Blair seeking revenge on all of them. And fuck, is it badass and trashy and gross and just unbelievable that this even exists. The language in it is it. It. It's such a it, it blows my mind that this movie even happened, even in the time that it came out. It's it's just it's unbelievable. I highly recommend it. It's on Tubi. Shout out Tubi. Shout out. Uh, Tubi. This should this should be one of the first movies you check out on Tubi if you haven't seen Savage Streets. Um, but yeah, that's everything that I that I have uh, checked out this week. So Kyle, what have you got? Well, you know, I have um I have a Dead Mouse USB right here in my hand. I have. So you didn't watch anything. So you didn't, didn't watch, watch anything. anything. I'm okay, sorry, that's guys. Fine. Like, here's that's fine. Thing. We we got lots to talk about in Nightmare. 
that's kind of what I figured. Also, I'm in the process of like gutting my room and painting it, and that's just stressful, you know, guy. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, why do why does anyone ever need like Power Rangers Lost Galaxy action figures? Like, why do you, why do you have these things? I don't know, man. And so I would say that my life might be the most horrifying thing I've watched pass by this week. So because you're digging, you're digging up old runes from your past. <laughs> Some of them are old, some of them are new, and that's really the issue. That's yeah. really the issue. Like, I have both of the henchmen from the original P- Power Rangers in mini action figure <laughs> version. I don't know, man. So I don't oh, watch okay. anything, but I'll give the cosign on Rhymes for Young Ghouls. <laughs> Sweet. Let's do Which that. is not a horror movie, but please watch it. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> but it's definitely, it's very, uh, like, it's centered around Halloween, so. I, th- I think listeners of the show will will definitely get something out of it. I feel like there's uh, there's been other things we've talked about on the show that are adjacent to it, to some degree. Yeah. Also, for some reason, I, I don't know if I covered this in my Blood Quantum review because I kind of just rushed through it because I'm so excited to get on to Dream Warriors and everything, but uh, the main the main uh, like twist, the kicker in uh, Blood Quantum is that uh, the zombie plague is only affecting white people. It's only so that's a really cool thing. <laughs> it is a cool thing. I don't know. I, I I'm I don't know. I'm so excited to watch that movie. The more and more I hear about it, um, yeah, you gotta watch it. Seb, have you watched? It just any- wrestles me. Seb, have you watched anything else, or you're ready to get on to Dream Warriors? I'm ready. Yeah, let's let's get to that. That's the word. I'll see. Talking about action figures, I bought. You know, I don't collect action figures because you know when you collect stuff, you have to set boundaries, or else it just takes over your life. But I bought my first set of action figures in like years. Um, The Ninja Turtles from the '90s movie. Oh, sick! But uh, it's just because um, I realized there's no cool posters of that scene, uh, the bonfire scene with. Splinter, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, why is there no cool post? I'm like, I need to do something. So I just bought those action figures as a cool reference, so I can like take pictures, figure out cool angles, whatever. Then I likely sell the action figures to Larocque, which is a my co-host on the show and he's a huge fan. So, but still, bought them. It's happening. <laughs> Fuck That's yeah, wild man. All right, boys, let's get on to Nightmare on Elm Street Three: Dream Warriors. All right, and welcome to our conversation on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, which came out in 1987 and was directed by Chuck Russell, the man behind the Blob the Blob remake from 1988. He also directed The Mask from 1994. Um, and then uh, we also have, it was written, this, uh, this is something I want you to help clear up with me, uh, Seb. So the story was originally written by Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner. Do you know this? Yeah, uh, I actually read the script. Like, there's a there's a few script out, and I read the whole thing a bunch of times. I almost know it by heart. Okay, like, but what what I'm what I'm wondering is, did they write the original idea for Dream Warriors, or did they just kind of provide the skeleton, and then uh, and then it was Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont who came in and turned it into Dream Warriors? Well, basically, there was um, West Craven had a few ideas. Uh, the first one was actually similar to what uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare was. Like, he wanted the whole thing to, to be, like, 
about um, Freddy hunting the people that made the, the original movie in real life. So you so did pitch that. They didn't like that. Uh, pitched a few other things like that. And, um, but ultimately, after a few scripts, because he was busy with um, something else. De so he, Deadly Friend, I think he was doing yeah. at the time. Yeah, so he wrote that script. They didn't like it. He wrote something else. He teamed up with Wagner. And uh, he wrote um, a good... It was pretty close. Like, he came up with the whole, like, bunch of teens uh, having to team up against, like, the Dream Warriors, whatever. Um, I could... was, it set, was it set in the mental asylum? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, That's the I, question. I, okay. Yeah, right, later, we, could, we could talk about the difference. Because, like I said, I know that script by heart. It was yeah. pretty close, but there was a bunch of stuff that were changed, too. So, uh, he wrote that. And... Uh, they they were they liked the direction, but they they still brought in um, Darabon and uh, Chuck. They they rewrote like seventy percent of it. Like they they changed some names and they they added some stuff. Um, and I, I think it was a good move because uh, like comparing the two, I do prefer like what ended up on screen than the script. Yeah, and then so yeah, we basically so Wes Craven and. Uh... And Bruce Wagner, they created the, they basically came up with the general idea, but then it wasn't until Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, who came in and turned it really into what Dream Warriors is. And Frank Darabont is the man who wrote and directed what is widely known as the best film of all time, which is the Shawshank Redemption. It's rated number one on IMDb. Uh, he also wrote and directed, the, or wrote and adapted The Green Mile. Uh, he also did The Mist, which is a Terra Table favorite. I actually, I can't speak for Kyle there, but uh, I know Boozy and I really love that movie. Um, but so you have the guy who is behind monumental franchises like that, or monumental films, who comes in. And before, before all of those films, he, he has his hand deeply embedded in this, this horror franchise, the third installment of a horror franchise. Uh, but then, the, so the film has Heather Langenkamp returning as Nancy Thompson. Of course, we have Robert England returning as Freddy Krueger. Uh, then we have uh, Craig Wasson, uh, Patricia Arquette, Ken Sagos, Rodney Eastman, Jennifer Rubin, Bradley Gregg, and Lawrence Fishburne. And of course, returning once again from the first film, John Saxon as Lieutenant Thompson. Mm -hmm. um, and Don't then the forget, story Lawrence Fishburne is credited as Larry Fishburne in this movie. It's one of right. It's, it's one of his like five or six roles where he went as Larry. Yeah, this was back back when he was a young gun. Um, was way before yeah. Osmosis Jones. So the story, yes, the story goes, a psychiatrist familiar with, with knife-wielding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens at a mental hospital battle the killer who is, who is invading their dreams. All right, so now I'm going to pretty much just toss this off to Seb. I, I want to so, start off, I want to start. Add that Chuck Russell, he, uh, in 84, he, uh, he co-wrote Dreamscape. Do you know about that? Yes, 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 I, kn I knew about that. Yeah, so that's something else that he already had some experience with the dream world and all that stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Is that Kruger crying? It is. Seb Seb has this puppy named Kruger. He's a cute, adorable little. Is he a black lab? Uh, he's a pit bull black lab mix. Either way, he's adorable. And he's locked outside and he wants to, to cuddle, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if he's okay. uh, if he's doing it, I'll just give him a bone. So yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, uh, as I said in the, as I'm sure I said in the intro, I'm recording all that after this. But uh, this this movie plays a huge role in our friendship, Seb. This is one oh, of yeah. the reasons why you and I are friends. And uh, yeah. it was really cool that you and I, even though it was uh, a drunken cinema screening, 
we got to see a Nightmare on Elm Street on the big screen together when you were here for the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival. So before we open up this conversation, just to catch the listeners up about your general feelings on the Nightmare franchise, I want you to lead off with that and then talk about Dream Warriors uh, what and your general feelings on it. And then we'll pass it off to Kyle and then myself. And then we're just going to open this conversation and fully dissect this motherfucker. So, yeah. Seb, take it away. Um, well, first of all, Freddy Krueger is my favorite movie character ever. Uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series is my favorite movie, horror series or series. Like, so, and it is just bringing me a sort of feeling. I, I know this nostalgia, but whatever. I've been watching those movies every year, like multiple times every year my whole life. And nothing makes me feel the same way. And there's no other movie that makes me feel the same way. I think um, I'm a very creative person. So that's what I do for a living. So I think all the creative uh, stuff that was they were able to do and play with the dream world and everything and what Freddy was, uh, I think that plays a lot in it. And I hate when people compare Freddy to Jason and say, oh, you're just a guy in a can, like just killing people. It's it's not about comparing others. It just what Freddie was able to to bring and what um, the crew was able to to create all the super creative kills that you would never see in any other movie and everything else. Like you just like for me, that's the perfect series. Like I uh, I honestly like every movies. I can obviously point out every flaws about them. Just something I'm willing to to look past because I just love the series so much. But uh, yeah, I'm. J- huge fan of the series i mean i met robert england uh i got a free glove tattooed on my arm i have a horror sleeve and i got him to sign next to it and when i, I got back home i got it tattooed so i have robert's signature on, on my arm wow. probably for life unless i lose that arm or whatever but, uh, nerd yeah like it's just like that's my series and i, I could talk about that series for for days um and as you said, it's something that kind of brought us together a bit closer, at least. Yeah, I know yeah. aliens did it, but um, that brought us closer too. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this. There's just like so much stuff to say. Like overall, it's it's um, one of those well, franchises that adds so much potential, and I'm not sure why um, why they ran out of steam that quickly. Because even though I like them, you can tell after five, six, it was like yeah. But um, it seems like there's so much you can do with it, and the the they, they were never able to fully, uh, you know. Yeah, but the one thing that I know about you, and this is minor spoilers for this conversation ahead, but uh, you hold Dream Warriors and the Dream Master in very high esteem. Yeah, they would yeah. be like. Well, first part four is the first one I've seen. Uh, it's one of my f- first horror movie that I've seen along with Poltergeist and Jaws. And um, and I never understood. It's one of, honestly, like for me, one, through, uh, one, three, four, they're so close. Like most people, it's either one and then three, obviously. And then it's all over the then place. it's over, but, yeah. A lot of people four hate so four. Close. So what, I, what, what, never, I never understood why. Um, there's a lot of hate. I get it. There's a lot of flaws. But I'm like, I, I don't know. And I knew we'll you're the that. biggest fan, and we talked about this. And I think we, you said when uh, we had the podcast last year that you were just coming around the corner. You were starting to like it. Yeah, so, I'm 
turning around on it. We'll we'll save that for when we start talking about the Dream Master. But now let's talk yeah. about Dream Dream Warriors, though. This is yeah. debatably like this is your favorite nightmare movie. Yes, hands yeah. down, sure. Okay. Um, and uh, I think again, it's it's the whole teens, troubled teams coming together against something. It's you can find parallel with Stephen King's It, I guess. Uh, facing Freddy, like facing Pennywise, just one of those friendship first whatever um everything was so creative that's also obviously the movie because obviously we'll have to talk about how um that's when freddy started to be like the the joker and like being a bit more comedic and whatever and that's something that's some fans uh didn't like as much personally that's something i really liked because uh it's it's established that freddy is pretty fucked up he's not uh he's not okay let's Let's yeah. agree on that, and um, and I mean honestly, if you would have that power to go in people's dream and you could do whatever whatever you want, you would. You, I would do the same thing. I would just fuck with them. I like. Why would you just go in someone's dream and just ha stab them without them yeah. knowing? I would, no, you definitely understand his dark sense of humor. Oh, for sure. If, could you imagine if I would have that power? Oh, that'd be the worst. That'd be oh. the absolute worst. You would you would be so much worse than Freddy Krueger, probably. And ah. he fucked kids. Yeah, I, I that I never did it, and I, I don't plan on. But hey, <laughs> never say never. But hey, COVID nineteen. What can? But hey, <laughs> we never we never thought this would happen. But yeah, wow, cool. So but yeah, all right. So you're a big fan of Dream Warriors. So let's, Kyle. Kyle, what about you? Uh, let's let we'll we'll just kind of go around and get brief brief thoughts on this thing, and then we'll we'll open it up totally. Yeah, well, I've always actually held Dream Warriors um, in a really special place in my heart, actually. Like, um, I can't remember how much I talked about this on the last episode, um, but, you know, and I think I've brought this up before on the show, but there was a long-running series of midnight horror movies in Saskatoon at the Broadway Theater. Yeah, Um, all hosted by our friend Tyler Baptist. Exactly. Um, And I forget the name of the series right now. I knew it at one point, but I I can't think of it right now, which is kind of embarrassing. I can't can't remember either. Anyway, nonetheless, this is actually where I saw a lot of like seminal horror films for the first time. And like on the big screen, a lot of times, if not maybe every time, on like a 35 millimeter print. So like really, really like kind of special moments. Um, but then of course it's kind of like, you know, like any midnight screening, the crowd is sort of a part of the experience, right? Like, you know, people are laughing at certain things, and we've talked about this before, where like maybe that's not the best thing, but other times it's a great thing, you know, it's it's a give and take. Um, but Dream Warriors is one of those films for me where I saw this for the first time at the Broadway Theater in Saskatoon at a midnight screening. And I had, it, to this day, it's at least at least in the top three best movie theater experiences I've had in my entire life. It was a total blast. We uh, remember, I went with Colin Sean, guest of the show. Shout out, he, Colin. And uh, we, we like brought blankets and like bought a bunch of popcorn and snacks and shit and just like literally had the best time of our lives. I think we were like 15 or 16. Like, I don't know. We were... Wow. Uh, we were, you know, teenagers, but like this movie was the perfect mix of, you know, interesting, uh, you know, uh, production design, but also, you know, camp and also that like, you know, solid premise that just works. So I saw part three before I saw part one for any reference, but of course, I mean, being anyone who's born like after, nightmare coming out like you just kind of know who freddy krueger is you know what he's about you know what he does and 
how he operates. So that was never, I was never confused watching it for the first time. It just made sense. Like, haunts your dreams, kills you in your sleep. What more do you need to know? Yeah. Uh, but Dream Warriors takes it to the whole different level. And in fact, I think, I think the cut that I saw, I don't remember if it was at the beginning of the film, in the middle, or at the end. I really don't remember. They showed like the Dokken um, music video for Dream yeah. Warriors. Which is a fucking amazing uh, music video. <laughs> it was also, this was the first time that a VHS tape ever included a, a music video on it. Is they that right? Included, yeah, they included the Dawkins music video on it. Well, that's a fucking bonus because that the song, song was The song, yeah, and the song was huge. Like well, they, I, you can I, actually, I, that's a conversation I want to have in Dream Master as well, is you can tell that they tried doing the same thing with what right, they did with right. Dawkins with another song. And it just doesn't work because that Dawkins song is so damn catchy and so damn fun. And it just fits it fits the aesthetic of this movie so well. It's like a weird weird thing because after that screening, I went home and spent 99 cents on iTunes and downloaded Dream Warriors by Dawkins. And to this day, it's like one of those like random songs that pops up at all my devices for some reason because it's like buried on my iCloud or something. Yeah. But anyways, long story short, like this I really, really enjoy Dream Warriors. I think it has, um, I, I think it has all of the best parts of the series. To be completely honest with you, I think it really, you know, has the charm. I will put in quotation marks of the second film, but then also has, you know, kind of the the spookiness and the terror and the intrigue of the first film. And yeah, it's a really good experience. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I'm pretty much uh, where you guys are at. I definitely, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street 1. I, I shared my experience on the last episode where Johnny Depp's kill, uh, death was the first thing that I ever saw. And then I went <laughs> back and watched the first one. Um, and then I remember watching Freddy, uh, Freddy's Revenge and I really didn't like it when I was a kid. But then Dream Warriors was like, man, this was like, it was like the Jurassic Park or like the Star Wars of horror movies to me because the scope of this thing was so huge. And I just couldn't get my head around how horror movies could be this massive. And that's what I loved so much. And it stayed with me that Freddy is just like, like what Seb said, he can't be really compared to other slashers because he's an entirely different thing. His capabilities are so much more infinite than everyone else's. And I think you see his capabilities displayed the best of the series in Dream Warriors. And I think because this is where you see him be truly terrifying still because I think that some of the like one one of the one one of the kills that bothers me the most in all of Nightmare is uh, oh god what's his name I can't believe I'm Phil? drawing a blank uh, the marionette kill Phil yeah oh, Phil no. yeah that kill fucked me up so bad when terrifying. I was young and it still it holds up it's it's terrifying and it's a uh, it shows Freddy's sick sense of humor in the best way like I think like it gets it gets a little out of control in future installments like we'll get on to even in Nightmare 4 there's <laughs> there's some parts where I'm just like oh my god like this is going a little too far but in Dream Warriors it never uh, it, it's like it takes it to it takes it to it turns the knob up to 10 and it l- stays there and it never goes above it and I <laughs> that's what I like about it and I think it's like it's it's the it's such a perfect representation of what this what this character is capable of um, one thing one that thing I've about re- that kill, if I can add just a little something without cutting you, yeah, that's the one thing. If I if I'm if I want to f- be picky about the movie and and be fair to other movies that I might point out flaws, that kill was awesome. But having Phil walk through doors, that's something that's kind of above <laughs> what makes sense, right? 
Oh, there's man. There are logistical reasons riddled throughout this entire franchise, and if we start actually questioning all of those, we will never stop this series. I know. Like it, it'll go on forever, and like that's yeah. the thing. And but that that's the thing though is that in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, that conversation will eventually end. I feel like like the the those like the flaws in Nightmare One, the, you can eventually kind of that conversation will end. I I feel that's like true. I agree. Yeah, if you know what I mean. But um, one thing I really I need to uh, point out, because this has been eating at me since the last episode, uh, I need to clear up that I do not think that Heather Langenkamp is a bad actress. <laughs> On the last episode, I made it sound like, and I didn't get to like fully finish my point or flesh out my point, but I think that it's she's no Meryl Streep, but she doesn't need to be. I think she's perfect for this franchise, and she does a great job of what she needs to do. Um, but I'm definitely a fan of Heather Langenkamp and Nancy Thompson as a character. And that's another thing that makes this this installment so much more interesting than Freddy's Revenge is carrying on that original story that we all like. That's what we wanted. That This is what we wanted from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Absolutely. This is what people wanted. They wanted to see a continue. That story wasn't over. And there's more to be there's more to see out of uh, Nancy. I feel like. She's more interesting than to just be written off as a one movie character. I think the yeah. arc and and we'll see that throughout this series. Like she comes back. She's in all of my favorite installments of this franchise. Spoiler. I think Heather Langenkamp could only exist in the 80s. Like her hair, the way she talks, the way she looks like there's no. Yes. She's like, very she's she's meant to be in this franchise. She wasn't going to stand a chance come 91. It just it wasn't in the cards for her. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's OK. It doesn't mean she's a bad actress, but um. No, I think I, I remember what you were talking about. I think last episode we had Scott were like, "Wait, what do you mean by that? She's great." <laughs> yeah, and that—that's I wanted to clear. I wanted to clear that up. But uh, fair enough. Basically, I just I think this this movie is fucking massive in scale. I love pretty much everything about it. I do have gripes with Dream Warriors, but the thing is, it's the type. Of, this is the type of movie. Much like uh, I was talking with some other friends about Blood Quantum. Sorry to bring it back to this, but this is one of those movies where it does have flaws, but. I don't even really care about those flaws because everything else is just so damn good and everything else. It just tickles my, me in the perfect spot. And it gives me exactly what I love about this character and this franchise in general. So it makes me just love it even more. And the, the, sure this movie, you know, it's not, this isn't a masterpiece. I don't think this is a masterpiece, but I think it's fucking so much fun. I think it's one of the funnest horror movies out there. Oh, that's that's so true, man. There's something to be said about a movie that can be so dark and so grim. Like if you really think about what these kids are in the hospital for and what they're right. dealing with and the deaths, like the t- the styles of these deaths, it's so grim and it's so dark. Oh, and it's so grim. It's like so... they're trying to face something like ultimately they know they'll die if they can't do anything. They feel they can't do anything. And they're in a place that should be there to help them. But everything that place is doing is the worst. They just want to put them to sleep and they... They don't believe them and whatever. So that's the such a big del- dilemma that you you have to fight from within. You have to find who your real friends are, or whatever. It's the same thing in life. Like that, there's a big parallel to do there with just like uh, more often than not, you're on your own to fight your own demons and whatever. But if you can't find someone that uh, is dealing with the same thing, it's always going to help to totally rally against that. So you know, but. Uh, yeah, friendship like is power. Friendship is power. That's what we gotta always remember, you guys. Yeah, Misery loves company. Yes, but this podcast and, and, would be boring with just one of us. Very well, that's true. 
Very good point. I think yeah. I don't know. That's a good point, though. Like I love that part. I love that aspect of this film. Like each character really has their own, um, or each dream warrior, if you will, really has their own, uh, you know, their own characteristics, their own personality, their own agency. But there's one line in the film that one of the nurses says when she says, "They're all, you know, why you're all here? This is just a byproduct of your guilt." And the way that's kind of interpreted is like. While they all have like inner guilt of like things they've done and stuff, but that's not even the case. They're a, they're a by- byproduct of their parents' guilt, the guilt that they have for you know killing yeah, Freddie. So it, it's it's really smart in a way, like having the you know the Elm Street um, you know children sort of be the result of you know whatever the first film, but also the result of like Freddie existing is really is really smart to be honest. I mean, like it's 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 the kind of I don't know. There's probably not a better way I can say it than how you said it, Mitch. It's like this was the sequel that I think we all wanted or, you know, fans wanted or – but not even that. But I think it was kind of the sequel that was just like meant to happen. Like the, the story needed to go somewhere and I think this was like the most, uh, you know, gradual progression for that. Yeah, I think it's even. I think it's better than what you could ex- expect out of the franchise. Like it, I would agree. The, dir- the direction that the it goes. One. From yeah. the second one, I was expecting this to literally be like – I don't know whatever you did in a back alley, but this <laughs> this one was just a completely different direction and, and the, for the best, for the better, really. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you guys because this is something I wish I would have remembered to ask Scott because he's an actual intele- intellectual and uh, not a walking piece of shit like Seb. But um, why did Freddie go after teens? Like he was clearly into them as kids, and I get that he wanted to finish the job in the first one. Because uh, he wanted to like go after the kids of the parents that he was going after, but at, at some point in the series, it starts getting a little muddy there, where he just starts going after teenagers. Or do well, you not have an answer here? Because <laughs> I fucking don't. Well, what about for but for this film? It makes this sense one makes still. a little bit more sense, but I guess I guess this question would have been a little bit better for a different ep- for a different fr- episode, but. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that yeah, well, it does... I guess it, for this one, obviously, like he's going after the kids, the last few kids of the, the people who killed him. So that covers that que- that part of the question. Uh, as for future, he just had a sick, I don't know, he just had something sick for uh, for kids. And I guess you can grow out of that, but I guess it takes a few years, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Right? <laughs> I think I think it's part that and it's part just, you know, the audience the films are being made for it doesn't it's just trying to be you know um you know slasher felix for teens i guess yeah totally. also probably more fun because you can you know as freddy he likes to fuck with people using like uh some of their personalities or their fears against them or whatever and you can do more fun stuff if you um pick a teenager <laughs> that's struggling with who he is right now and we're then just a kid who his bills are paid bills are paid off and no problems, whatever, you know. True. You much when you're a kid. I guess so. they did the they did the same thing with the Pet Cemetery remake by uh by making it the daughter and not Gage, making her a little bit older so they could have more fun with her. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess and that question would have been like better for too, like he just feeds on fear or whatever and so he wants to really uh get as much as he can so by getting right. someone you can really fuck obviously it's easy to scare a kid but you just go boo and they'll be scared but with with teenagers that are struggling with stuff already and like they're more aware of what's going on and still have that i don't know 
Plus, like, you have a you have a way better chance of showing tits if you're using teenagers. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah, very. Not and, and both of the films franchise. in this uh, episode do that well. Yes, yeah. lots of boobs. Kind of did it though, which is weird. Well, I guess a little bit in part four, I guess. I don't know. I I, <laughs> I guess to answer your question again, Mitch. It's like. It's honestly a little bit weird. We could try to justify it, but I think at the end of the day, it is a little weird. <laughs> no, I, and I should technically I should give myself a wedgie for even asking that question. But uh, let's let's move on. Let's get into the nitty gritty of this thing. So, Seb, let's open up the conversation. You you take before, take this thing before, forward. You carry it. But before I'll just go back to the question one last time. It's the same reason as we've never seen a Friday Thirteen movie with with Jason chasing a bunch of. 40 year old hunters on it on a business trip you know that would not be the same than a bunch of drunk kids i would right? take it yeah that's I'd true but that. i would take it at this point yeah, it's, it might be better than than uh the manhattan one right anyways yeah. so all right so uh you have any questions how do we go because man it's, it's it's massive there's i don't even know where to start there's a lot of cover here like yeah, and they, that's the thing is, I feel like there's obviously there's a lot of stuff that if you really want to learn about the Nightmare on Fre Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and actually get really deep into it, there's the Never Sleep Again documentary that you can watch, which is four hours and it's available on Shutter. I know Seb yeah. and I have both watched it multiple times. I think Seb, you've seen it probably more than any human on Earth. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. I can honestly like finish people's sentences like the like I know it by heart. I would I would work. And I would just put it on like a podcast or something, and I would listen to the whole thing like on loop like four times a day. Like yeah, wow. <laughs> so I just know the, the the thing. So I guess there's a bunch of very interesting stuff that uh, you can pick from that, but I guess we shouldn't use too much of that because that's something they can find. Like let's yeah, try exactly, to come yeah. up think that. Uh, what's interesting is that, like I said, like I know the original script almost by heart. So uh, there's a lot of. Um, uh, can you tell I us tell it. us what Wes Craven's original script was more, more like? You go into it a little bit deeper. Tell us the differences. Yeah, um, a few different. Well, obviously it's a it's a whole movie, so I have to think a little bit. But uh, first, they introduced Nancy right away. Um, that's something I thought I was cool. Uh, the way they actually did it to wait a little bit, and when you see Kristen, Kristen uh, struggling with Max and everything. And then, oh, Edder is right there. And as a fan, if if you've seen the first one before, unlike us, um, then it's like, oh my god, she's back. And when you're young, you watch you're watching this on TV. You don't know actor's name, so that's really a surprise. Versus right now, we would know that she's back, so you, you expect that. But yeah. when you watch it as a kid, you don't expect her to come back. So that's that's a great reveal. But in the original script, uh, right away, uh, something else that was really different is that uh, John, her dad. He was like very, you know, he's always, he's always been fighting against the whole thing because because of guilt, because he's the one who killed him, whatever. Um, but in this one, he's really he's really trying to help her. And uh, there's a reveal. Uh, John is actually at the hospital, and his eyes are cut, like he's blind now. But he knows a lot of, because he went on a trip. She, he just disappeared after the event of the first movie. He disappeared. Because he was going after Freddy, and he went through a bunch of states, and uh, he was just trying to find information on him. And uh, Nancy was able to find him at the hospital, and uh, he knew so much. He knew about 
something else dream warriors had a different meaning because um randomly a bunch of kids from all over the country would be found dead or around town like homeless kids and they had no idea where they were coming from and it's later established that those were likely like you know like a dream warrior like kristen the power that she had was something that not a lot of kid had and that's something john told Nance at some point like i think you're you're able to experience uh the next wave of the fight against freddy all those all those kids have that power that you don't have But they do need that leader. They need you because you've been through him. You fought him before, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's like if all those kids from all over the country, they were like selected to be the Dream Warriors. But and they had to make it to that to to that town to go to Freddy's original house to fight him. And uh, the one that, that succeeded. Well, they never succeeded until that movie. But um <laughs> And also, so yeah, it's 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 all over the place. That's one reason why I don't think they went with it is that there was a lot of teleportation. Like Kristen could just have have people like teleport. They kind of did it when uh, Heather is just like hanging out, and she just start to feel dizzy and she just fall in the chair and disappear. Right. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of that in the in the script. Like she could just bring in people and they would just disappear. And then they would just pop eventually. They play with that a lot at some point. Um, I would find that you know, incredibly annoying. Yeah, same here. Like I that would that piss that... me off. And it, that's the thing is like that's something that Freddy has a one up on all the kids. Freddy can do that. Kids can't. I get that they're dream warriors, but it would still annoy me. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. There's yeah, always I... something about like Heather being kind of like the the leader and maybe a little bit more special that I, I'm okay with. But if everybody was doing that constantly, or even if Heather was doing that a lot more. That might come across as a little like I don't know over yeah. the top, even though the film already is over the especially, top. Especially, especially if you introduce the idea of the Dream Master in the next one, and you find out that Heather wasn't even the fucking Dream Master, <laughs> and very she's able to do that. That's yeah. a very good point. She she might have become that though. Like there's some like in the comics and whatever she and I, actually at the end of this movie, uh, I think it was in both scripts. Um, Uh, Neil and Kirsten have a discussion after like everything happened. That's not in the movie, but uh, it was in the script. They're just talking and they're like, "So have you been? Uh, have you been seeing her?" And they, they were like, "Yeah, every night. That's why I can. Uh, I mean, hurry to go to bed because I can't wait to see her." Cause so, so they, there's a, they hint on that Nancy will always be in their dreams, like guarding their dreams. She she became like the gatekeeper or whatever. They do mention a bit of that in the Never Sleep Again thing, but um, yeah, they, they did play on that a little bit. Hmm. Nancy just feels like the savior, you know. Like as soon as she appears on screen, like I would like as you said, like I was stoked. I was happy to have her there. She kind of just feels like the mom. She's comforting. Yeah, absolutely. Like she, I don't know, she, and it's one of those that like you know like we've watched a lot of horror movies, so you, after a while you're kind of desensitized. Like people die and just like meh. But there's a few that characters when they die, it's really and actually in this movie, I was just bummed at almost every death. Like, ah, that's a cool death, but shit, you could have picked someone I didn't know, or you know, <laughs> that's rude. But sure almost enough. like every like, and that's when I'm like, ah, you felt for that, but at the same time, it's a bit their fault. Like you've been fighting Freddy for how long? You've seen everything that he's been doing, and then you just scream and break a bunch of mirrors, and you think this is it. We won! We won! <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Well, Freddy's so unpredictable, right? Like, he, he, yeah. as much as they're safe. 
like there's rules to Freddie, but at the same time, like there's almost no rules, right? Like that's the thing. Like he's always, he's always kind of got a a one up on you, no matter what. So I think that's kind of why it always makes it so spooky. Even when this film eventually has montages of every dream warrior having their own superpower, it, it, yeah. it you know they're they're never they're never invincible, right? And maybe that's why but, Nancy's so special too, because she she kind of is, I guess. I don't know. That's, that's why there's. I, the, I always wondered, like Freddy Krueger, like you know, like in movies, like when Peter Parker is starting to figure out his his spider power. Like I would, I would love to see Freddy going through that. Like, oh, what can I do? Because there's no manual. Like, yeah, yeah. Gonna, did yeah. he practice on like cats or something before? He could, like, <laughs> and we know there's a bunch of kills that happen like between like the first movie and the 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 third one because they say there's a bunch of suicides so you know he's been doing it a lot and that's oh i didn't catch on to that that's something i really like about the movie the movie starts and on the radio i know in the script on on the radio they talk about all those um those uh those kills and all those suicides and like it it doesn't make sense and in the movie they made it that i think it's max that talks with neil and he's saying oh i think it's all the the fucked up chromosome like all their parents dropped acid in the 70s and that's yeah you're trying to figure out why there's so many suicides, and then they, they brought up that one kid uh, cut his own eyelid um, to stay awake. That's something that was in the in the Wes Craven script, and um, that's something that didn't make it. But I think they wanted to keep it really one because that's something. Hey, eh, when you you're one a writer or something, you always have those ideas that if they don't make it to that project. You will try to you always you always try to make it in another project. For example, that eyelid thing. I know in uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, um, the original script is um, Wes Craven was not because you know Nancy go to meet Wes Craven in real life and they talk and uh, they go to his house, a nice fancy house. But um, awful scene. Script, <laughs> yeah, the original script for that he was supposed to. He was in a van with his eye. He was writing, typing away in his van with his eyelid chopped or something. So, yeah, with that's Wes's eyelids off. Yeah. Oh my god, that would have been bonkers. Wow. Yeah, but <laughs> that's... Just, they ended up just using it like in as a line. So, but yeah. that would have been cool. It's such a fucked up thing, and it just speaks on how much Freddy was fucking with them because that's that's one of those things like. Uh, the other slashers, they'll 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 just kill you, but uh, Freddy, he'll fuck with you for a while. He could just pops and just stab you in the chest, and like it just killed you. That he loves to fuck with you first. Yeah, and he that, plays with his food, and uh, obviously that's what that's that's the only way you can kill him to play on that. It was too cocky, just like the Emperor in Star Wars, because because really they could just destroy and do whatever you want. So you have to hope they're friggin' cocky so that you'll have a bit of you know. A bit of leeway, so we can yeah, they can have some time to fuck with him back or try and fight back, and it yeah. gives you something to watch. Like that's one of the most satisfying scenes in this entire franchise is when Will the um, the wizard says yes. that he I am the wizard master, and then he he gets up and he thinks that he's about to beat Freddy, and he runs towards him, and Freddy just fucking guts him in the yeah. in the stomach. I love, I love that, that scene. Yeah, because it just shows it's just like, oh no, you guys are all still fucked. Like, that's exactly you know, it. And that's what I like about it is that the moment that even even when like there's this like 
wave of hope that comes and hits the movie like halfway through when Heather starts teaching when Nancy starts teaching them all that they can be dream warriors and they can if they band together they can defeat them and everything and like it almost starts to feel like an Amblin movie for a split second yeah. and then that scene happens and it's like oh no you guys are still just your fodder your meat to the grinder and that's what's so much fun about it yeah and same thing with Taryn because the Will and Taryn just got killed right away <laughs> out of there uh, that was, I don't know. I, I oh, like how, I like how strong. Like I don't know the the, the presence that Freddie gives off. Maybe it's strength. Maybe it's his own charisma. I have no idea. But the, what he gives off in this movie is a really really good mix of I think how he was I guess introduced and then kind of comedically you know crashing pool parties in the second. Like exactly. it's a good mix of it's a good mix of both to be honest. And I think he's on screen like the right amount of time. Yeah. He gets a lot more screen time than like the first film, but yeah. he's not on screen too often and when he is it's like it is genuinely spooky and it is warranted i also love he has such a good skedaddle like the way he like yeah just rolls down hallways and like i don't know man that skedaddle gets me every time yeah and and i like the kills in this film probably the best out of all three to be honest that the first three i think these yeah. are this has the best kills i mean they're the some of them are obviously extremely over the top like in comparison to the first especially but I don't know. It has like that kind of like whimsy and creativity of like, you know, how wild a nightmare or a dream could get. But then also with, um, you know, the straight up just like terror and shock of maybe what we saw in the first film. Yeah, totally. Like I, I still like T- Tina's death is like the scariest to me still. Mm-hmm. But like one one thing that uh, fuck, I don't even know what I was. But these are the most a- inventive. Like I agree with you. Like Tina's death is definitely like straight up just horrifying. But yeah. in this film, it's like, I don't know, I feel, I think Phil's the character we just talked about, the marionette kill. Phil, right? Yeah. Like, that, I, one's, that one's up there with me, up there for me, too. Like, that one is fucking insane. Sure, we can argue about how it makes no sense, but honestly, like, this is a, this is a House of Wax type film where I'm not trying to judge this movie on, you know, uh, you the know, realism, yeah. Yeah. The, the script, uh, theology yeah. or whatever. I think that you brought- one of my, it might be my top two kills, actually, like, the feel... yeah oh yeah oh yeah and kyle you brought up a good point about uh like this is kind of the perfect balanced freddy of like we we eventually see him to quote scott on the last episode where he does eventually kind of turn into like a bugs bunny cartoon character that he gets so insane at some points and i know seb you say you love that about him i like that to an extent as well but i think like him at his best is in that terran kill where he's still fucking with her, and then, yeah. uh, like, how he delivers the line, the, let's get high. Like, I think <laughs> yeah, that that's, yeah. it's, it, the way that he's, he's not going, let's get high, bitch. <laughs> and it's like, like, he eventually there devolves, a there's he a big devolves into that. He devolves into rush. that. And yeah. I think it's actually creepy the way that he does it in that scene. And another thing is that this is probably the best representation of, I guess they do it really well in the Dream Master as well, but they start to, the writers behind all this, they start to think about how they can cash in on people's phobias. And like, that's one of the best things about the franchise is that you see people like you, uh, for example, like I know I'm jumping ahead, but Debbie and cockroaches, like in the next one. Um, But then you also have um, like in, in this one, like they're all, they're obviously suicidal kids or they people think they're suicidal so that explains why they would why Freddy would make Phil open up his wrists and then jump off a building like so it, yeah. he gets really creative and he he also uh, exploits their their weaknesses 
Yeah, for and sure. then tearing with the tearing with the heroin, like that's it's just I think it's genius. Yeah, and Jennifer wanted to be on TV. She kept saying she wanted to yeah. be on TV, and she was like, and obviously used that against her. And like, no, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's really inventive, and I think that, yeah, it's definitely one of the most like cre- definitely has to be up there for one of the most creative uh, horror films of the '80s. And you can tell like they. They definitely, if you watch Never Sleep Again or know pretty much anything about this movie, you know that they spent most of their budget on makeup effects, and it shows. Oh, but really? I think that it, 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 like, also, it really worked out to their benefit because that's kind of like the cast did a good job of carrying the rest of the movie. But really, this is it's kind of a spectacle horror movie. Like Absolutely, the movie just man. it feels huge, and like what what uh, sorry Seb had mentioned before about how. You, there's some comparisons to it like this is you can watch like the Andy Machete's like recent it movies and see so much inspiration from both Dream Warriors and the Dream Master and it just like in the scope and the size of things and like the epic scale of of these kills so I think, I, I think like Stranger Things definitely grabs from these two movies as well like yeah. I think I think these this is like because uh, it kind of has like action elements in a way like they, these are definitely like 80s horror films you know to the to their core but they have kind of this like motley crew of like action um you know tropes that are kind of put into this film that i think make it work like that kind of like superhero aspect of the dream warriors and bringing everyone together i don't know it's just a lot of fun like the thing that sets this film apart from part two for me is like it's has a really clear vision, like whether it's from the visuals or the script or whatever else, like there's just like core elements that are, are well thought out for this movie. And sure. It's a little off the wall. It's a little zany. Maybe a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's, it has heart. It has like, um, you know, thought and care put behind pretty much every facet of this film. And that's why it works. Like in a sense, like even as we're describing it now, it just sounds like fucking nonsense to some degree, but it really, really works when it all comes together. And that's, what's important. Like the visual style of this movie is really, really cool because we have, you know, these crazy, um, you know, uh, production and, character design and freddy's like turning into giant fucking snakes and like oh man shooting tongues off and shit but it but it it never comes off as um i don't know never comes off as like cheesy it always comes off as making sense in what the movie is the only time i would say it kind of fails is maybe when it's like uh when he's like a walking skeleton, that's like maybe the yeah, only which time. is totally it's an ode to like Jason and the Argonauts and clearly yeah. the special effects area yeah, of that. Yeah. But one thing is that yeah, they that's the other thing. So for my like, I'm I'm gonna say like pretty much my flaws, and then we can get to wrapping up and everything, so we don't because we still have another movie to talk about. Oh my God. Um, but uh, one the, the the one thing like going back to the effects work, so they put all of their money into all these practical effects, which look amazing. What doesn't look amazing is the computer effects. Yeah. So, like, I'm talking about the scene where uh, John Saxon shows up and, like, a glitter of stars, and then he uh, stabs Heather <laughs> Light. Like, and, and Nancy's weirdly okay with her dad being dead, which is kind of weird. Uh, like, there's not a whole lot of heart in that scene. Well, it was kind and of a dick to her. Yeah, I guess so, but she's That's... still kind of... I kind of forgive the stars, though, only because, like, they're so bad they're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and it's also it's Freddy. Like it's, yeah, it yeah. ends up being him, and he guts her and everything. Um, but that and then 
what was the other? Oh yeah, I just I find the backstory of Freddy being like the son of the bastard son of a thousand maniacs that I find that whole thing kind of um, unnecessary. And so I I, I don't I well I, the thing is it they, it doesn't take up enough space in the movie to right. really warrant any to warrant any pardon lack for lack of better words clout in the movie like wow. it doesn't it does I'm sorry um, I just don't think that it 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 needed it it's it's not necessary yeah, we don't okay. need to know that I I, I, I think it's kind of cool that Freddy's just inherently evil I think it, it would be fine if he was like you know the son of a a nun or something like that like that that's cool but. Uh, yeah. the, but at the same time, like I said, there are flaws in this movie that I truly don't care about. And this is kind of one of them because it doesn't take up enough space in the movie for me to care all that much. And well, it doesn't really ever come back. Well, well, that's how they, they, they were able to kill him, though. Like if Neil was would have never talked to Amanda, you wouldn't know that how to kill him is to bury him in like the holy water and everything. So that I guess that's that was true. essential. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. You can write your way around that too, obviously. But um, yeah, I think I that was essential in that sense. Well, that's that's the other thing that gets muddy throughout this entire franchise is how to defeat Freddy. Right. And like that—that yeah. that was well, their this was, was their chosen mechanic be, this time. Yeah, that was supposed to be the real ending, just like Friday Thirteen Part Four. Like that was supposed to yeah. be. But obviously, I guess I feel like there could be a middle ground. I think I agree with both of you. I agree with you, Mitch. Like it is a little bit bloated, and I. As much as it makes enough sense for me, and I think especially just like coming into this as, you know, it's 2020, like we know there's six films, like we know this story continues, like to me watching this now, it's like, okay, well, this lore needs to go somewhere, but I see what you're saying. I think like generally speaking, it might've been like a tighter film if that, or like a tighter script if that was left out, but then it also doesn't make sense that they killed him, but I think they probably could have worked around that. So I think yeah, maybe I'm with you but- on this one, Mitch. Yeah, that. But I also I do like the idea that he's more powerful and he's powered by the souls of the children that he kills. Like I like that part of it. I agree. And, I think the and concept I love, alone makes love enough that sense. Scene. Yeah, and I think I think it works. But I guess you're right. Like, I mean, the movie's only an hour and a half. So you could add 15 more minutes and make more sense of it. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah, I would watch I, an extra hour of that movie. Easy. Yeah. But that's yeah. also maybe why it works. It's sort of like. Like a 90 minute movie just gets me rock hard. Like this yeah. shit is, but actually that's one thing I wanted to bring up and it applies to the next film as well. All of these movies, like the third act is massive. The last 20 minutes is when everything happens. It's insane. Yeah. And like, it's not like they're all stale leading up to it. Well, whatever part two was kind of stale leading up to it, but that's besides the point. But you know, it, it is always about that build up that really, really works. And this film is actually a bit more, um, uh, it has a few more like uh, peaks, I guess, you know, in the first and second act. But that third act is always just this insane peak. And that's something I'm really starting to enjoy about the the, the Nightmare franchise where yeah. like I'll kind of like I'll, I'll pause or something. Or I'll grab a drink and I'll see like, oh, we got 25 minutes left. Oh, uh, shit's about to get fucking wild. Yeah, shit's yeah. about to get real now. Like, this is where <laughs> yeah. the cocaine really sets in. But it was it was it was even crazier in the original Wes Craven script. Like they were just going all because they could teleport. And <laughs> I don't think I like this teleport idea. No, <laughs> no, it's uh. But that the thing is that the way that John knew how to kill him was to burn his house, and that's not like the Nancy's house. That's actually his house that he had a ranch house, and um, so they were trying to get there and to burn it through the dreams and whatever, and and they they, they would. Because Neil never believed Nancy until late in the movie. And at some point, she, he was like, 
Um, check this out. So the the kids all rallied for the that last session, and uh, Nancy was like, "Kristen, go!" And it just made them disappear. So Neil was like, "What the fuck? Where did they go?" And then he was talking with the other dog. You just disappeared. And then they reappeared, and then Freddy was there for a while, and he slashed the other. So it got crazy like this. It was it was too much? And that's yeah, I think yeah. they were seeing in um, the documentary that uh, there was no rules. I still Rachel, which is the producer, she talked about how it was a good script with good ideas, but it was way too big. There was no rules. Everyone could do anything. So you know, you don't feel it's like watching those. Um, superhero movies when you're not really into the lore and everything you're just like well i don't feel any emotion because i know they won't die they can do like you know it's a bit like that you don't feel the uh right stake is as high when they just can't do everything yeah it's true and that's the that's actually a good point that you brought up is i i feel like the stakes are kind of they're they're most real in dream warriors as oh, a, like obviously this and the first, original but i feel yeah. like the stakes feel real in dream warriors which they that's something that the sequels eventually lose is that it eventually just kind of becomes a uh it, they, it almost becomes a best of series like a compilation of just like cool freddy kills with the story yeah. takes a heavy back seat yeah. uh whereas th this is like one of the this might be the last one debatably depending on who you are and your opinions on the franchise where they really swing hard with the story aspect and I think it shows here. But uh, one thing that is we're at 50 minutes on this one, and I want to get on to Dream Master because we have a lot to talk about in Dream Master. But I think a good way to transition into that is talking about Patricia Arquette. So yeah, we have the, the the lead actress of this film um, who is, we'll talk about it, re recast in Dream Warriors. Um, but she was like the, she was notorious on the set. Like uh, what you can learn from Dream Warriors is all the guys were in love with her. Um, she, this was the beginning of her career. Was this her first actual film? Yeah. Do you, yeah, know, do you remember? Yeah, I think it's her first credit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so... Would we go on to star hard. in Uncle Buck, Holes, and Boyhood? And yeah, True Romance. Like, she's a, she's oh. a fucking Academy Award winning actress. Like, Patricia Arquette. She's an incredible actress. And mm. I really like her in this film, which is interesting because apparently it was just such a nightmare. Like, with, sorry, pun, pun not intended, but I'll take it. Um, but like between her and Chuck Russell really butt heads and, uh, and she, uh, what had, couldn't remember her lines. And I, I don't know, the more, the more that I think about it, the more that I think that, you know, she might've just been an inexperienced actress and this guy was going a little bit hard on her because from what I've read, Chuck Russell is not the easiest guy to work with, but yeah. he makes incredible movies. So, you know, that's his method. You got to respect it. Mm -hmm. Um, to an extent, you know, obviously he wasn't physically abusing her. I'm not down with the whole Kubrick thing. Uh, but, but this, uh, this is different. And I think it's still amazing that they managed to get such a good performance out of, out of Patricia Arquette in this film, given the circumstances of how bad of a shoot it was for her. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was, that was her first movie and that was his first movie too. Charlie yeah. Russell. And one of the first scene they filmed was that scene where she's freaking out and Nancy comes in and she couldn't remember her lines. They talk about that in the documentary, so I won't, I won't talk about it too long, but, um, they say how that was very bad night because that was his first experience directing, and she and he just couldn't, and they never could move past that initial discomfort. They always had that awkwardness, and like every every scene, you're like, well, is it gonna going to be like this? So I, I can't understand why there was tension after that. So totally. 
Well, do you guys have anything you want to add on to this Dream Warriors conversation? I know, Seb, we personally, I guarantee you, you and I could probably talk about this for the next 24 <laughs> hours, but yes. we, we can't expect people to listen to that. So <laughs> if you have any important points to get across, now is your time to do it. Uh, I think any points that I could bring up, I can kind of make parallels while talking uh, about the, the the next movie. So, All uh, right, well... I, I have a few last things to bring up very quickly. I love how this film opens up. I think it's just, it's really strong to the point. It reminds me of the first film a lot. Um, I also love the paper mache. I think that's really funny. I think paper yeah. mache is just fucking weird to begin I with. I have that house here. I have a replica of that of that house. That is sick. Actually, it reminded me in grade four, I made a paper mache pig, and I called it Notorious P.I.G. <laughs> <laughs> so that brought up some good memories there. Uh, <laughs> Notorious P.I.G. Yeah, That's I awesome. thought it was pretty clever. Um, also, is there um, did the first two films have like Bible passages that open up the movie, and I just missed them? No, I this has th- this was the first one, and yeah, this and Dream Dream okay. Master both have uh. They they have little quotes at the beginning. Which... Well, that's the thing is because I noticed that obviously this time around I was like, wait, did I just like totally miss that the first two times? Like, yeah. I also think it's more suiting in Dream Warriors than it is in Dream Master. Like, oh, I feel like they were kind of reaching really hard in Dream Master. I uh, agree. It's like putting a Gandhi quote before your PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then uh, I gotta say I love Larry Fishburne in this movie. He's great. Really, he's just like a strong, strong actor. I love yeah. that guy. Um, and then lastly, I got to just say that I, uh, love how this film just kind of comes back full force into the idea of dreams rather than a possession or most, mostly possession, a little bit of dream. I think that was a huge, huge misstep in the second film. Um, I don't mean to shit on it too much, but this movie, I think really returns to the kind of core idea of the series really, really well. And up until this point, at least, I can even, I'll say like this is definitely my favorite uh, nightmare film. I, I prefer this to the first one, actually, personally. Great, and yeah. So I guess Seb said this is well. One thing I haven't even mentioned on the any of these episodes is the three of us we're going to rank, and we'll reach out to our guests that we get on these episodes to uh, offer up their their official rankings for all the films, and we'll we'll offer that in the last episode of this retrospective series. But well, until I, then, I can say right now that I am three, one, two. As of right now. As of right. Oh, whoa. Okay, well, let's get on to the Dream Master then, boys. Uh, so we'll be right back with the Dream Master. How oh, sweet. Fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. All right, and we have reached Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which came out in 1988, so just one year afterwards. And it has the return of Robert England as Freddy Krueger. We have the return of Rodney Eastman as Joey. Uh, we have Patricia Arquette recast uh, recast to Tuesday night, playing Kristen. Uh, then we also have Andre Andres Jones, um, a bunch of fodder. I'm sorry, do, do you guys want me to say all these people's names? You really don't have to. <laughs> Seb, am I gonna am I gonna offend you? Ah, you do your thing. Follow your heart. <laughs> Brooke Brooke Bundy, we got playing Elaine. Uh, John Beckman Brooke's playing the coach. Hot. You yeah, you think Brooke Bundy Bundy is super hot? Well, when she was younger, Google her. Man, she was oh oh <laughs> oh, it's right. <laughs> All That's... right, and the so for this one we have direct in the director's chair we have. 
the gigantic unit, Rennie Harlan, uh, who is uh, 6'4". He directed Die Hard 2. He also directed Deep Blue Sea and uh, a bunch of other stuff. He, the he's done... he directed The Covenant. Is that him? Was yeah. he? I did yeah, not he, even know that. Oh my God, he covenant. did do that. And he did The Exorcist, The Beginning, Driven with Sylvester Stallone, where he's riding a, he's driving a F1 racer through the streets. That was uh, a great film. I have not seen Prison. that. Have you seen Prison? No. no. But oh, dude, yeah, yeah, he directed Cliffhanger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Prison. Pri- I have seen Prison. Sorry. I yeah. totally forgot about that. That was his first it movie. Looks, it looks a lot like on um, like part four, like the, the visuals. Yeah. Okay. And then, so what we have here is the, the story goes, Freddy Krueger returns once again to terrorize the dreams of the remaining dream warriors, as well as those, those of a young woman who may be able to defeat him for good. Um, yeah. So who do, wait, who do we have? Who plays Alice? Oh, good, good question. Like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Lisa, so Lisa, Lisa, yeah, Lisa Wilcox. Then we got Brooke Thies as Debbie. Uh, Ken Sagos returning as Kincaid. I cannot believe we talked about Dream Warriors without Kincaid. Let's yeah, make that wow. right here. Let's let's make that right here. So, but first, let's uh, let's talk to you, Seb. Hey, open up. Talk a little bit about Nightmare on Elm Street Four. What you think of it? Make sure you uh, splice in some Kincaid there because that's one of my franchise favorite characters. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, something I can say about him is that uh, he originally he, he died in the original script originally. Mm-hmm. Um, But he survived, obviously. He survived Dream Warriors, but not for long. Obviously, he was brought back uh, for part four. But I'm going to say, late 80s, if you have a situation where a black guy is found with three dead bodies in a room, he's not in high school the next year. You know what I mean? (laughs) What? I don't know if I follow (laughs) <laughs> At the end of Dream Warriors, they had that session. They were Kincaid, Will, Taryn, and, and Nancy. And they all went into Dream World where Kristen was. And when they woke up, Nancy, Taryn, and Will were all dead. And Kincaid was the only one alive, still in the room, in an <laughs> hospital. And was already always had those outbursts of violence. So how did he yeah. get up with that? You think yeah. there would have been more racial profiling happening? Oh, yeah. Well, no, even, that if if it would have been anybody in that situation, anybody, how do you explain that? So, <laughs> so there we have our first logistical problem of uh, of uh, the Dream Master, <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, they did come back. Uh, for me, yeah, I'll just say I know that movie is getting a lot of hate, but I always loved it. It was my first one that I've seen. Um, again, I'm I'm likely biased because I'm super visual. And this is all that movie was. I, I think Robert England described this movie as the the MTV version of the Nine on M Street. It's super true. Like the camera angles, everything they did. Um, Even the com- way the characters talk, like everything and about it, it, just feel if it, it's the pop punk Friday. Yeah, and uh, that's as I said uh, nightmare. Earlier, sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> the that's the first one I've seen. So obviously, nostalgia is playing. Is playing in my favor in its its favor really, but uh, I don't know. I just really liked it and like it, and I can I can obviously point out point out the flaws, but I know why. Obviously, the story is not great, but uh, they they filmed that movie in like a few weeks, and four months later it was released. Like they they were filming in like March and April or whatever, and the movie was being released like August. 
and they they were editing the film as they were filming. Plus, uh, in '88, they had the the writers' strike that that went from March to August. Actually, that was the longest strike ever. Uh, it was like 155 days. So they, they didn't have a writer. They had a script they were not happy with, but they had to go with it uh, because they just didn't have access to a writer. So uh, they were going off a lot of sense. Yeah, so they were going off a script they didn't fully liked, and it was not complete, and they still had to shoot and rush and everything. So Rennie, Arlen, uh, came up with basically all the nightmares and all the ideas, and they were even filming some of the... They just a bit like Star Wars has been doing, like... They just come up with cool visuals. I know JJ has been doing that. Just coming up with cool visuals and then try to write a story around that just to come to have those scenes in. So that's obviously part four. And uh, so obviously the, the story took a hit because of the situation. So I can't understand why that happened. So I can forgive a little bit more. But even, even there, I think it's still interesting. Basically, Freddy ended up uh, getting rid of all the Nightmare the the kids from Elm Street that was his mission whatever and but he was so sadistic he, he still wanted more and he, he was able to exploit Alice well I guess Kristen's power that was into Alice that Alice had that power to just gather all the the, the, the powers or whatever so there wasn't so through that he was able to get more kids which is what he wants he just wants to keep killing and um, so I think that's a good enough story and just uh, the story arc of uh, Alice, which is uh, she was just that shy girl. Um, so can I, can, I, can, I, can I cut you off for a second here? Yeah. You just said something. You said something that kind of um, caught me there. Is you just said that the story was good enough. So like, think about after Dream Warriors though. Think about how fucking amazing that movie was. And now like, and that's kind of where I'm leaning with with Dream Master is a lot of older horror fans don't realize how monumental a movie like this was for younger people to see. And like, yes, it is just flashy and it's a, like cool scenes kind of spliced all together. But I can understand a lot of the hate because it is just good. Like that's the, this is a monumental step down, I think. Yeah. Am I wrong? I well, could not agree more. I, I can't agree, but I, I personally cannot see it. Because I just, I'm just obviously I'm biased, and I at least I'm able to admit You're that. You're blinded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, just just as a core, just Freddy coming back, finding a way to get access to more kids and fucking with them, whatever. That's already like a better story than so many movies I love, like all the the Friday Thirteen, and there's no other like it's just like they show up somewhere, they all get killed, like so. Based on that and a bunch of movies I like, it's still a step up. There's still some something interesting about it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, 2009 rolls around. Oh, boy. Here it goes. Is this another Eminem reference? <laughs> we, get, we get relapse by Eminem. Oh, no. Yes. Many would argue this film, this this record is terrible, but it has some bangers and really interesting like stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. Crack a bottle, we made you. You know, lot some interesting tracks. I would consider that maybe the dream warriors of Slim Shady's career. This is a couple the years toy later. Soldiers. Couple years later, unfortunately, we get recovery. Oh. More or less, the MTV of you know Eminem's career, in my opinion the dream master of Eminem albums. 
And you're completely right. I mean, sure, maybe it's passable, but this is a decline in quality if there ever was one. Like, well, it's not as bad as part two. It's not like it's bottom of the barrel. I wouldn't go that far. But in fact, it's not that it's even bad. I think it's just passable. I don't think it really has any moments that I found outright terrible or like, um, I don't know. Like, I think its biggest offense, honestly, in my mind is it just was kind of boring at times. Oh, that, see, that blows my mind. And uh, also, like, I'm I'm very surprised that you didn't love it, because uh, this kind of speaks to a lot of the Kyle Kyle sentiments that I know that I've known of you to like. And that's like, this is a very teen movie. And it clearly like what Seb had said that uh, Robert England considers this the MTV movie. And it totally is, man. Like, there's it, they they. Uh, but that's the thing is that I feel like you say that, but I honestly didn't get much of that from it. Like, oh, I man, are you kidding me? That that pop punk song that they had, or not even pop punk, but like that song that they just had. They had no idea what to do with this song, so what they did was put montages of people using fucking nunchucks. Because they're like, what else do we do with this song? See, that's the question I have. Are, 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 I literally wrote this down. Are nunchucks cool? Like, I don't know. Are they it cool? It was back then. You were cool. Add some. That's for sure. Right. Saying, did they, yeah, and like they... I mean, the the biggest thing I could take away in terms of like the high school teen aspect was that Sheila was ripped basically right out of Degrassi Junior High, which I fuck with. <laughs> but, I mean, beyond that, it's like, I don't know, like... I think maybe I would I would almost think of Dream Warriors as more of like that kind of like teen camaraderie thing that I'm into. This is like not even maybe if they spend more time in the school, I don't know. I see what you're saying, Mitch, but I didn't really get much of that. Like I just found this to be really baseline. Like nothing that really stood out and nothing that really offended me. Yeah. Uh Seb, do you have some more things you want to say or should I get my kind of general thoughts out? Um well, again, I, I guess everyone looks at things differently. And at the end of the day, it's just about having a right, the right balance. And uh, some people are more story-driven. Some people are more visually driven. Some people need a good balance. That's one of, one of the good examples is, I know, Mitch, for sure, you'll be like me. Like, when we watched Jaws as a kid, we're all about the sharks. It was, and as you grow older... Now you, you you're way more about the interaction with the, the with the three guys and whatever. So you, you there there's movies you can look at um, that are well. Jaws is a flawless movie in my opinion. Yeah, I was gonna say you're so, you're comparing Jaws to the Dream Master. Yeah, but you see where I'm going with it. <laughs> That's I do, I do, I do. I'm just roasting yeah, you. You know what I mean. And yeah. uh, for example, Back to the Future. Usually, uh, kids prefer the second one because there was all those flying skateboards and all the cool stuff but as you grow older then you focus a bit more on the story and whatever then that's you prefer- a very good reference that's and then you prefer reference. The- so that's where i was going with this and it's one of those um where now on m street the original one the story was super solid same thing with the with dream wars this one uh i can see why Kids would love it because it's super visual. It's still creative. It gets you in that way. But then the story thing is kind of taking away from you a little bit. So I can see why uh, people like Kyle that watched it recently wouldn't connect as much. Uh, I think yeah. it just makes sense. I should and, preface. Uh, this is the first time I ever, I've I've seen this film. This is my first watch. Yeah, yeah so that makes total sense. Yeah. And it was and it was also yeah. a back to back viewing. It was a double feature. I watched it. Yeah. Oof. I, like right after number three, more or less. But that's like watching Jaws and then Jaws three. You know, it's just 
and but I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense because even what you were talking about, Seb, like in terms of like the production of this film, like it came out a year after Dream Warriors. They were they were editing it and like filming at the same time, which is wild yeah. back then, to be honest. Four months, like they they had a poster with a date, and they were still shooting, like, and they were still shooting like two weeks before the release, like the like the poster was at the movie theaters, like coming soon, and they were still shooting effects, like so that's. that's yeah, they did that a week before the movie came out, eh? That's yeah, so, like a week or two. That, like That makes sense to me. And I guess um, I'm not saying I that justifies it, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. It's one of those things also. I'm, I'm often coming from... I'm always trying to a fault to just find positive stuff so I can... Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're always... I'm always trying to enjoy stuff. Like I, Yeah, I, why would you want to hate it? Yes, no, of course. Well, and I'm not saying that... that people that we don't like it are just trying to hate it that's not the point it's just, just like, like Kyle at least trying <laughs> to to find ways to enjoy something so well, i think honestly a, a story yeah. like this though needs time to breathe to some extent and you kind of need that year or two to think of like a good concept because the thing about anything that is like a good simple concept which i would say um nightmare is a man who haunts your dreams that's as simple and as great as they come yeah um a boogeyman i guess uh like you still need to think of something that's sort of at the core, like clever or smart. And I, I think that's kind of unfortunately where like number two and number four f fail for me because yeah. they're really just cash grabs, you know, like I get it. And that makes, that oh, makes yeah, enough sense. But yeah, you know, like, cause like it's like an ebb and flow for me right now where it's like number one, like part one, like really this, um, you know, art piece, basically like a <laughs> seminal film. Number two, honestly, Again, back to the alley where Mitch was in earlier. Number three <laughs> is like just sort of this, you know, lightning in a bottle to some extent. Like a lot of energy, a lot of charisma, a lot of thought and care for something that's kind of wacky. And it is wacky at times, but it works. Number yeah. four is kind of just, you know, like you're number five on the audio dial. Like nothing. It's this really, really baseline. It, nothing to me really felt like there was. There was care and attention put into some aspects of it, but at the same time, like, I just found myself being kind of bored, more or less. Mm. I, I don't know. That's just me, and I and I I, I don't I don't want to shit on it too bad because there are good parts of it. But I mean, after coming off something like you know Dream Warriors, which I mean, I just I mean I just stroked it for half an hour or whatever, and I'll stroke it some more, I guess. But uh, what I'm trying to get at is, I think this franchise has amazing moments. And it just makes sort of those lackluster moments stand out more, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah and to your point, because you, you brought up something that it needed time to breathe a little bit, to go from one story to the other. And, and that's uh, as, you, as you develop the idea, at least. And I think a good example of that is Get Out and, uh, and then uh, us coming out not long after. Uh, I'm not sure what you guys thought about that, but interesting. That's an interesting comparison. I, do we want to get into this again? <laughs> yeah, because Get Get Out was amazing. Like you could tell, like he's been working on that movie for years. That's a that, that's a project he has been going at writing. Perfect, right, thing. right, right. Was, like a passion project, like a, definitely yeah. a passion project. Yeah, and uh, it came out amazing. It was perfect, and he's just so talented. So when when he. Uh, I think he rushed a little bit in us. It's still super clever. It's still really good. But for me, it was just missing that extra. I think there was some stuff that was a bit sloppy that I think if uh, he would have had a bit more time to just sit and on it a little bit and just work That's at fair. it a bit more. 
I think would have been a bit better, and and obviously there's still years there. But, but this, I guess to me it feels a lot different when you're working within a franchise, though, where there's sort of like one core idea. Yeah. I agree with you. Like I definitely. Uh, at least after the first time I watched Us, I felt very similar. But honestly, as time has gone on, I kind of like Us a bit more and more as the days go by. The more I think about that movie, that's just me. But this is a really good movie. Yeah, but you and, feel the same way with Part Four, just like Mitch. Eh? But could I, I talk about Part Four? It's no. yeah. eighteen minutes. It's eighteen minutes in, and I haven't said okay. anything. Sorry, Mitch. <laughs> get it. Get in this. Yeah, so like everyone knows that I'm pretty much a mark for this franchise, just like uh, Seb has already used wrestling terms there. But I do, I love this franchise. And like Seb, I always try, especially in things that I like, I try to look for the positives. And for the longest time, I couldn't find those positives in the Dream Master. It just really didn't do anything for me uh, down to like, you know, starting with the recasting of Patricia Arquette, which I know is out of their control. And I know that that just needed to happen um, because for whatever reason, Patricia Arquette didn't want to return to the role. She wanted more money, whatever. No one actually really knows. Um, but I felt like the pardon. She might have been pregnant at that time, too. Oh, yeah. I think that's what people are saying, too. But um, but then the, the casting of Tuesday night was really distracting because I don't think that she's particularly like this. Her, I don't think she brings anything to the role. I don't think it, she's so distractingly bland in that role. And that's why it doesn't matter that much because spoilers, she doesn't stick around for all that long. Um, she does, un, uh, however, sing that intro song that opens up the movie. Yeah, uh, that right, running yeah. from running from this nightmare is sang by Tuesday night, um, which she made could that be in a, a few hours too. Credits to her. Yeah, but like for me, this this one just kind of seems like it, it almost felt like it's just like a calling card for Rennie Harlan. It seemed like he was just trying to he it's just a whole bunch of ridiculous Freddy sequences that even in dream logic don't always make a lot of sense. But over time, I've grown to kind of love them because while the story might be virtually not there at all it's actually like the story of this movie is incredibly stupid it is the whole dream master is very fucking dumb and especially the way that they go about explaining it like i want to point out like one of the funniest scenes in the movie is where notoriously we haven't really talked about this in pre in the previous episode but bob shea the producer needs he always wants to put himself in these movies and uh in natural bob shea, bob shea fashion uh, he didn't. He really didn't want Rennie Harlan to make this movie. He didn't like Rennie a- until the movie turned out to be. This is the biggest. This at the time was the most successful Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Like it, it made the most money. But the, at the time, he didn't have much faith in him. So he got him to put him in the movie, and he plays the teacher. And of course, this just gives Bob Shea an excuse to be able to read his lines because he's holding a piece of paper and he's like reading his right. lines off, and it's just <laughs> terrible. But and and on top of all of that. He he delivers this monumental speech about the Dream Master in school, and then he says how and uh, he tells the kids how they better listen up because this is going to be on the final. That's the kind of cl- the quality that we're working with here. The teachers explaining the dream. Oh, why in the fuck are we talking about the Dream Master in school? Um, but that's you don't at this point in the franchise. This is where you got to let those go. You got to let all of that go. And as soon as I was able to kind of let those gripes go and just kind of have fun with the visuals like what seb's saying wasn't Man, that I part ha- of, a, of a dream though that's not what that, alice was sleeping was that a dream i hope i hope it was Either, I, I, I could I, be I wrong. Here, but i think it might have been part of the dream when she's just in class uh even regardless even if it is a dream it's stupid <laughs> but it's yeah yeah but like uh, yeah you even if it is but 
Um, but the thing is, like, the kills in this movie, like, some of them are so fucking bad. And then you yeah. have Debbie's kill, which is yeah. a monument, like, debatably, like, it's for sure the most grotesque, I think, out of the franchise. I think yeah. that that Debbie kill, like, where she turns into the, her arms break while she's lifting weights, and then she turns into a cockroach and then ends up in the Roach Motel. That <laughs> is amazing. Like, oh. that is such an incredible scene. But the thing is, that is just a special effects extravaganza. That is not a, fr- like, that's not... That's not amazing because of Freddy Krueger. That's just amazing because it's it's badass special effects makeup by Screaming Mad George and the crew that worked on this movie. Yeah. And that's that's the thing is that a lot of it, it's just it's kind of like a compilation video of just a bunch of little sequences and put together. They don't make a whole lot of sense and they get overly complicated once you start bringing in the um, Alice's ability to her dream master abilities. Like it just starts it gets confused. And it's 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 weird that a nightmare movie should never be hard to follow. And there are times where they, it's actually kind of hard to to understand where where everything's going. And um, that's where the movie fails. But where where it shines is where this is this is where Bugs Bunny Freddy Krueger fully comes out. Yeah, like where where you got Freddy wearing sunglasses on the beach, which I used to despise. I used to hate that. I now kind of like it because it's it's him being it's kind it's humorous. It's funny. You also let's not forget that. How Freddy's resurrected in this movie is flaming dog piss. That's I was like, just gonna bring that up. Like that, that's amazing. I, I wrote that's that awesome. down. I said dog's piss opens up the gates to hell, resurrects Freddy, and at this very moment, I knew things were gonna be a little different. Yes, it's very <laughs> true. But at the same, like, uh, but uh, while I am kind of praising how funny that is and how stupid and ridiculous it is, this is still coming off the heels of Dream Warriors, which is like a really good movie. So. It kind of it it showed a little bit of a lack of respect to the character to me, uh, and I also find it funny when you watch in and Robert England is notorious for doing this, but in Never Sleep Again, uh, there's a scene of him trying to like get philosophical with like the reasoning why the dog's peeing on his grave and everything. Oh, God. It's like just shut the fuck up. Like it's Rennie just needed a reason to bring Freddy back, and you know what? We we shouldn't be all that picky about it at this point because. Look at how we how we've discussed how they defeat Freddy and how we're we're going to discuss like those are the, it always gets muddy it always gets muddy I don't how he comes back even, into the world and how he exits I don't yeah. think it's even like the goofiness of like the kills or how Freddy acts in this film for me to be honest that like I said that doesn't really offend me I think that's fine like I think at least the last two films in the series have elements of that so up until this point like to me it's not even really shocking like you're right Mitch he goes full Bugs Bunny which you know, whatever, take it or leave it. That might not be for you. Um, but it's just, it feels like nothing is really, there's not a lot of like, I don't even know how to put it. It's just like, there's not too much heart or like, there's not a lot of like, um, real not worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the real thought, all the real thought went into the set pieces and the, the execution, which is like where the movie shines. Exactly. And that's, but where my problem lies is the same. Here's my, my problem. So also I love the scene where Joey, where Joey's murdered. I also love that, um, every kid has their own like kind of weakness or phobia and Joey's is tits. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I love that he's got a weakness for boobs and yeah. um, we all do. But like that kill and Kincaid's kill are so lackluster. And then you yeah. have Debbie's kill, which is like that. That's like a it, it's like the star on top of the Christmas tree. So it's so uneven. And yeah. that, that's where the movie kind of struggles for me. And but at the same to... time. 
Sorry, it's just ahead. so much. At the same time, it's just so much fun because then you also have the Craven, which well, I'm going to talk about yeah, this a little yeah. bit. But like Seb, Seb designed a, a, a it's a T-shirt design that has like a really niche logo on it. It's like the Craven, and it has a pizza on it, the Soul Pizza with Freddy Freddy's scratches through it. And it says the food won't kill you, but the service will, or something like that. Sick. And I wore that the day that I met Robert England for the first time, and he fucking loved it. I know Robert England loves, uh, of course, he. I think he loves every one of these movies because he's in them. Um, but I think he really loves Nightmare Four, and um, I think that whole scene is just awesome. That that whole scene is hilarious. But if you were to splice out, and I know this is also kind of a ridiculous way to look at it, but to show how far off the rails we've come just imagine taking that scene and splicing it into the first one just think <laughs> yeah. think just think about how yeah. we're at at this point we're dealing with a completely different entity they've turned into completely different things at this point and that is okay like this we we could have gotten so much worse than this um like seb said i i recently came around to this movie it sounds like i really hated it but there are part like I have so much fun watching this one now. I've watched I watched both of these movies twice this week. Um, that may or may not have been because I was really stoned the first couple times, but yeah. uh, and I wanted to revisit them and everything like that. But like I I they're fun and especially Nightmare Four is just so trashy and ridiculous that I can have fun with it now. Yeah, and going back to what I said earlier, and I'm not trying to make excuses for it either, but just the way I see it is. Uh, As the movies were going, Freddy was still learning about these abilities. And just like the public needs the mood, the stake and everything in the movies to always go higher and higher, as as a person, as a psycho, Freddy, and you have all those abilities, you're going to expand what you can do, obviously. You're like, oh, I can fucking, you know, know what I mean? Yeah, that and the scale, the scale I, gets bigger and the scope yeah. is expands. And I think he... he He was getting more creative with what how he could fuck and and just to go back to the the, the dog pissing scene, uh, I know it's dumb. There's no excuse for it, but just the way I decided to see it so that it helps is that that's not how Freddy came back. Uh, Freddy was just back because he could, and that's how he decided to to pro portray it to Kincaid. Yeah, to show Kincaid. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Which you, I, I mean, that's, that's the only way they would have used that excuse, but they okay, never well, did. I can tell you that isn't what happened. Like, but but I, I like your thinking. Yeah, I like yeah. your thinking. Your I, justification. I'm with you. I, I, I could uh I could uh buy that. I don't know. I guess it's not um it's not that I even have a problem with any of these like ridiculous gags. I think actually it's like what gives a lot of charm to the movie. And I think like like you said, Mitch, like this is the fourth installment, and by this point, like you have to just kind of roll with it. And as much as I like didn't love this movie, I was actually fine with that. I just, I just kind of felt like it didn't really fail at anything or succeed at anything either. Like, um, you know, it kind of felt like it was cobbled together and it was just more or less kind of inconsistent. But yeah. at the end of the day, like there were some things that were just straight out hilarious. Like I love that greeting card that he leaves. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that shit is love, so funny. That was I love, awesome. I love Freddy like, doing stupid shit like that. Greetings from hell or something. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's it's moments like that that um like you said like the entity is morphed into something else and it's moments like that that I think bring a lot of like levity and fun to this movie because I think I think Dream Warriors is just balls to the wall fun and it has a good mix of sort of serious too and yeah. like yeah, truly scary times and it it just it's it's actually uh, paced really well it's uh, balanced very well 
And I think, unfortunately, that is just where this film kind of falters for me. It's unbalanced. And even though it has a lot of good parts and maybe not even that many bad parts, it's just it just kind of feels cobbled together for me, um, yeah. which is too bad. It's a damn shame Boozy isn't here because I feel like he would fucking love this movie. Like, I feel like this one's going to rank really high on his list. Uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing his thoughts the, on the next episode. Yeah. But Yeah, well, maybe, also, maybe maybe if I watch this again, I would get more out of it. Like, maybe some of those campier bits would it would sort of, like, uh, pique my interest more. It's but, a grower, um, not a shower. It definitely isn't. I, I think out of definitely, at least compared to this one in the second film, I could see myself enjoying this one more in repeated viewings. Or potentially getting more out of it if I watched it again. Um, but I don't know. Like, how could you compete with Dream Warriors? That's just really all I have to say. Yeah. Especially if uh, you have to compete or do something better than Dream Warriors. And then you lose your your main cast. Like, Kristen is not coming back. Then you, ha you, you have a, a just a no-key script that you're not happy with. Then a writer's strike. Then you have yeah. only a few months. Like... All of these, those, those are not ex well. They're excuses, but they're reality. That's the result of what we're seeing is directly because of that, you know. And and from that angle, I think that's the that's the best we could get possibly out of such a bad situation. I guess the odds just weren't in their favor. But what did what did you guys think about Alice? Like Alice, I was just about to say, I I actually really like Alice, and I've grown to like Alice. Her. Yeah, Lisa Wilcox, and she's a babe too. She's cute as hell. Oh, yeah, I, I kind of like her too, and she kind of she kind of grew on me as the film went on. And how you know it, the movie has a pretty good progression with her character getting a bit more like confidence and um, you know just sort of general it's charisma. But I have to admit, though, I kind of I did sort of check out as soon as um, Kristen died. As much as I didn't like Tuesday Night's performance, as much as Patricia Arquette's. There was something about I was like pretty invested in that character at that point, and her kind of, you know, ha having like the lead sort of switch over to Alice. It, it took me a while, sort of, to like even care, to be completely honest. Yeah, and that that all of the really good stuff in this movie lays in the back half of the movie, in my opinion. Like that's where you have Debbie's kill, and then right. same with like the Craven scene and everything. Uh, I also like the the finale of this movie. I think it it feels like kind of it almost feels like an ode to like old Hammer movies in a way. Oh, okay, um, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, and that, like it kind of feels like an old castle, like kids teaming up and fighting Freddy. I just think it it's visually cool to look at. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I don't think Rennie Harlan had real focus on this, which is interesting considering he was like he just kind of hung out in new line cinemas until they hired him <laughs> to do this job back <laughs> yeah. in the day when back in the day when you could do that without getting like a restraining order yeah. um then it, it ended up working out for him but i i think it it also just comes down to directing style like you look yeah. at obviously i'm a fan of chuck russell's given his other films um obviously a big fan of wes craven I can't say, like, I love Deep Blue Sea, but I, Rennie Harlan's whole thing just isn't generally my thing. Like, I'm not generally into the kinds of movies that he makes. Uh, but I think, for the most part, it's just, it's a, it's a goofy Nightmare on Elm Street movie that yeah. is kind of shit, but it's kind of fun. What, what do you guys think That's about how Freddy... Fun, What's what do you that? about how Freddy dies in this film? That's actually my favorite Freddy kill out of all movies. I actually kind oh, of like so cool. I like yeah. the. I, guess, I thought it made a lot like, of sense. Honestly, like I don't want to shit. Obviously, I don't want to shit on the first one, but the first, if we're yeah, all, 
The ending of the first movie is really not good. It's probably the worst part of the movie, unfortunately. I told you. Yes. Thank you. Fuck. Boozy was getting mad at me about that. The end and of the first movie sucks. I, I, I don't I obviously we know why, because again, they were. Wait, wait, are we talking? I'm talking about the car scene. I'm not talking about the actual like fight showdown with Freddy. Oh, I'm talking no, about... No, 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 like, not that, but I mean, how to defeat Freddy is just to turn your back and... Yes, be, that's what I'm like, talking about. I'm like, ah... That's know. a little lame. I wouldn't call it... I don't yeah. want to say it sucks, but it's a little... Like that was actually... Me, that's something Wes Craven brought back into his script of, of part three. Uh, she was doing that again, but it didn't work or something. Oh, and, cool. I actually kind of like that. And also, uh, that, that brings me to another point. They, they approach uh, Craven to write his script for part four... And uh, he pitched a few ideas, and there was a bunch of time travel <laughs> ideas, and they were like, "Okay, no." And then they wrote a few things, and they came back. They, they were not happy. They came back to him, and he and Wagner again. They, he wanted time, so it's one of those things. It's like again to to compare to George Lucas or those guys. They get praise for what they did, and uh, other directors or writers that come after they get shit on because it's not as good. But often, we saw George Lucas with the prequels. It's not always good when the, the, the guy keeps doing them. And no, it's uh, on the ideas that Wes Craven had. It's, oh, man. <laughs> I'm not sure it would have been great. No, I, I, and that's a good point. I, I certainly don't think that the franchise would have been a significantly better franchise if Wes would have done every single one. I don't think he was. I think he had his idea was to do a one and done movie. And that's what he did. You really uh, push for that, yeah. Yeah, granted, I do really enjoy... Like, we're going to get to New Nightmare. I'm a fan of New Nightmare. I really do love that movie. Um, and I like what he did there. But that none of these things would have worked in uh, West Craven land. <laughs> and I just think he would have... Like, what you were bringing up with all the teleportation and everything, that would have just gotten even messier. You also look at the movies he was making during this time, and they're not particularly better than this. Yeah. And, not, to, uh, like, not to confuse this, Wes Craven's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Oh, I yes, adore yeah. that man. But he had, a, he had a long run of not very great films, and it was kind of around this time. Do you remember? You're the one who told me uh, about him when he, when he passed. You're the one who told me. Oh, dude, man. Yeah, I remember. You were the only one I was talking to. I was crying in my bedroom. <laughs> watching. I was just screen. showing you the new Evil Dead poster that I did. I just finished. And I was like, hey, we're all pumped about that. And then you told me, we like, oh, man, Wes died. So we're like, oh, Wes who? I was just hoping, say, Wes Anderson or anyone. Or, you know, <laughs> Wes, Wes Borland or whatever from say, any Wes other world. I, I certainly would have uh, preferred. I would trade a Wes Borland for Wes oh, Craven. Yeah, that was such a bummer. But yeah, just to just to go back to, um, obviously everything he did was great, but I don't think it would have been great. Like he he didn't want a sequel. He just it was a one and done. He's an artist, so he never wanted Freddy to be more than what he was. So I don't know. Yeah. So basically, I guess we can kind of get into closing thoughts here. Seb, do you have any like? You had some a lot a lot of like deep cut knowledge about Wes Craven's like original script for Dream Warriors and everything like that. Is there any kind of cool anecdotes about the Dream Master that you know about? Uh, let me think. Well, something interesting. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, we know no writer was uh, was uh, auditioning. I think she was she was for Kristen in part three. Who was? Uh, we know no writer. Oh, Winona Ryder. Yes. So actually, I didn't know this. I did not know that. Would, would so let's just think about that. Would we prefer having Winona Ryder as Kristen 
in both those movies or got what we got with you know the two actresses I would be completely real. I would 100% take Winona Ryder out of yeah. Patricia Arquette. Well, I think Winona Ryder is a great actress. Not to say right. Patricia Arquette's not, but I think that that could have been a fucking game changer having her in both. Absolutely. But at the same time, that that wouldn't that couldn't have drastically changed the quality of what Rennie did in Dream True. Master. But it's just Winona Ryder is just such a good actress, and fuck, she would have been good in these movies. I think I just would have been more upset when she died, and then I'd have to deal with yeah. Alice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, other than that, there, there's not as much because man, it was such a it was such a quick thing. So there was not a lot of development. There was not a lot because uh, Elgin Angelin or whatever the guy who wrote the, the the script that they're not he wrote it in seven days, and like <laughs> everything was rushed. Like that was written in seven days. Again, that um, was not great, and plus they were not happy with it, and it was not completed. And Rennie Arlen didn't have that much experience. With a new, you know, with a new, like, I can totally see why this movie, like, didn't, does not connect, because it just, like, it was, it was a mess. Like, you can't polish a turd, they say. Well, that's kind of a, but I still <laughs> love that movie. Like, again, like, the ending, that's, that's my favorite ending. Like, just in the church, whatever, like, the, the beat-up church, whatever, with Alice facing Freddy. I want to do a series of, that's one thing, I'm an artist. I could make so many posters. If I could just sit and create posters for that movie, I have so many ideas. There's so many cool visuals. Like, if you think of that movie, there, I can't even, even if I would sit here and name you all the cool visuals, I, I would forget a bunch. Like, the pizza, like, when they go in Freddy's head and it's spinning and there are all those people, like, sticking out of their yeah. wall. And, like, oh, there's so, yeah, so cool. many cool visuals. And that's all they had. Like, the big, huge fucking chest with the, Lina Quigley popping her boobs through it and like <laughs> so much cool visuals and like the, the cockroach thing and like yeah I just guess the, 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 the junkyard I love that when they yeah pulled, that is sick yeah. and, uh, see her that was such a cool it's cool how they did it um there's some great camera techniques too I actually really like when the camera's oh, yeah. spinning all over in the room after uh after Kristen takes uh, her mom gives her the sleeping pill and she's like kind of yeah. losing her shit, it looks like a fucking uh, Gaspar Noé film for a little while. I know that's <laughs> yeah. something that uh, Brooke, because uh, I watched a bunch of Q and A's with the cast and the cast. That's something I'll say. Like the cast is still really close. They're like the the like I know the original cast. They were not. It was not a tight set. And part three, I'm not sure. But uh, the cast from part four, they're all super like. Um, the girl who played um, uh, Sheila, she lived with uh, Lisa Wilcox for a year. Uh, Lisa Wilcox and uh, Tuesday Night, they had a business together for like years. Um, I know Tuesday Night ended up suing the company, so but they're, I'm not sure how awkward that got, but they, they had jewelry or something. It sounds like, they need out, a re- sounds like they needed a restraining order from you. Maybe. <laughs> I know a lot about that. But uh, where was they I were actually with? actually that whole cast was at uh, when we went to Hex, the Calgary HorrorCon, where Robert England was there, where we met like uh, Jamie Kennedy. Oh, really? the, the whole cast of Nightmare Four was there. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. But uh, uh, where was I going with this anyway? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. you're talking about all their personal lives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Their I favorite all foods. Their dog's name, all their dogs' name, the cats. I don't give a shit. But uh, no, um, I don't know. For, for me. Um, there was still some sort of chemistry 
between them, even though the acting and everything was bad. It's still good to see that they're all happy to do it and uh, and still friendly to each other. And it's it's funny to hear the whole like because among fans and among the cast, like there was that whole thing that Tuesday night must have been sleeping with Rennie with Arlene because he was always after her and she was like getting more more screen time than Kincaid was supposed at first he was supposed to be in the movie a lot more and then he he was cut to like die in the first few minutes or whatever and like there was a bunch of stuff of that. She's saying she didn't sleep with him, but who knows? Um <laughs> that's a very personal eh? <laughs> I love that we got the dirty the dirt from from Sabir. But there I is- mean that that, that's all stuff that she's openly talking about. So I'm not like, yeah. like going off like internet random stuff. But um, I know that Brooke, the who plays her Kristen's mom, when she uh, she was doing her scene, when she came back in part four, she went to Robert and she was like, "Well, Robert, I, I'm I'm super confused. Like, you know, in the last movie, I you kill me, I died, but here I'm back." And Robert was just like, "Just." Just shut up. Just just do your thing. Just ignore this. Like Robert knew obviously that it was kind of messy and the would the, the continuity. But again, did she really die? She died in in Kristen's dream. So did she really? I'm not even sure how that yeah. works. No man, there's there's so much dream logic bullshit that you can't you can't yeah. possibly find answers to. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah, man. And this this is at the point too. Well, I guess this actually. I think it got to his head after the first one, rightfully so, though, because it's proven that, like, I truthfully don't think that they could ever. It's one of those things where I, I can't imagine a Nightmare on Elm Street movie without Robert England, and it's it's really tough to imagine it being successful because he really is that franchise. But he, it, this was the point where he really kind of just became his own superstar and became oh, yeah. his turned the character into something entirely different than what Wes originally set him out to be. Yeah. And that that was all Robert. And I think this movie takes leaps and bounds, takes him leaps and bounds in that direction of being just like that campy, goofy character that it didn't work for a lot of people. But, you know, a lot of us still love those moments with him. And I think, to be fair, you know, there's that claim that nobody could play, play Freddy ever. I do. I mean, I don't want anyone else to ever play Robert, uh, Freddy Krueger. And uh, but I know there's still... There's still a bunch of actors that could do a really good job, but I don't think it would ever be accepted. Like the fans are way too biased or whatever. So it's one of those things that well, it's like the Joker. Everyone was like, nobody is gonna be better than Jack Nicholson. It was that fucking Heath Ledger, are you kidding me? And then yeah. he fucking killed it. So it's possible. So and, uh, you know, debatably same thing that happened with uh Skarsgard and Pennywise. Like, you know, a lot of people yeah. really love his iteration of a lot of people don't, but you know, it's it's really tough to say how it would look, but um, yeah, no, guys. I think that's. I think we pretty much covered the Dream Master really well today, and uh, Dream Warrior. So, if you guys have any last last minute things that you want to add on, I think we can kind of close this thing up here. Um, one line that was funny, always funny, is uh, when we were first introduced to Alice, and then Rick that comes down the window, whatever. <laughs> They're just talking outside with Kristen, and her father comes out, going to school dressed like that, as if she was. Like dress like a whore or something, and like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah. Like her belt is like right, like probably on top of her nipples at this point. Like, <laughs> like she's like super loose. I'm like, 
what line is this? Like somebody wrote this and they didn't talk with the. They didn't, they didn't check they didn't wardrobe. Talk. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's nothing like. If I would be a dad, I would want my my daughter to go to school dressed like Alice. You know. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, she she's pretty conservative in that film. Something I don't know, and I I don't know. I think I, I might have learned at some point, but I forgot. Like, there's a shot. Uh, I have a book that I showed you, like the. Uh, Official Nightmare is to Freddy Krueger and Sclopedia, whatever. And there's a shot of um, uh, Alice's dad. His head is going through a wall or some sort. And it's like Freddy holds his head. And I, I was never able to figure out where that came from or what that scene was. And I know uh, Lisa Wilcox was asked about it in like 2018 or 2013. And she at that point, she still didn't know. Like she didn't know about that shot, or so I don't know if her dad was supposed to die at some point. If it was maybe in maybe in part five or or part four, I don't know. That's something I don't know. If anyone knows, I'll do some research because I just remembered that. But um, that's, that's something I would love to know. Yep, reach out to Seb at Stereo Design on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, uh, Adam on Facebook. Stock his house. Maybe turn the turn the. Turn the rolls around a little bit and get some dirty details about Seb's personal life. Show him how it feels. Yeah, I, I guess right, I have well, a couple. Just like everything. A, I have a couple of thoughts to wrap up here. Um, I think the more I think about it, I've just been kind of like racing through like my general thoughts on this film. And I think maybe it actually, I don't think Freddie is the problem for me in this movie. I think it's more actually the 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 rest of the cast. Like I think in how they're written, like for they're because they're so much more goofy. You know, like there's less like um threat to them and i think maybe that's the problem for me or threat from them like for instance when alice is like she just shoves everything off her dresser after she's like got all like like uh i don't know pumped up to fight and then she looks in the mirror and says fucking a it's just like (laughs) it's it's funny and it's kind of respect and it's kind of sick but it's also kind of suspect and if something (laughs) is respect and suspect i don't know what to say yep and and that that's was the only way they had to link that she was taking on the power of one of the other because that was a line. I know, her. I know. Like it makes enough but, sense, you know, but it it it's that kind of camp that I think makes it a little bit muddled for me. Maybe that's just my general yeah. thoughts on the film. Although I do still love that final death, even how he gets killed. The fact that Freddie basically dies of embarrassment from his own face is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, yeah, I think I think uh, Seb, you kind of. Um, shed some light on some of the production history for this film which makes a lot of sense how um it you came know, out yeah, how sure. it came out and that makes a lot of sense so and that's honestly was something i i expected i mean when you see anything any franchise whether it's a i don't know any kind of media really whether it's a band or a video game or a movie and it comes a sequel or a, something else comes out a year after the last one it's almost always a little bit suspect so oh, yeah for- it, yeah. Could have been a lot worse. We could have got a Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that I'm going to add to what you said. I'm going to add to what you said. And it's true. Like the, uh, the an example is the fucking A. That didn't make sense. But at least that's just something she, something she said. What's worse is when she, she got that smoke and started smoking. And she's like, I don't smoke. Well, you just add cigarettes on you? Like, what? <laughs> that's, that's even worse than just seeing something. Like, I don't smoke, but I have a pack of cigarettes on me, I guess. Like, that I made less sense. It's like, well, 
See, that, when you that, bring that up, when you bring that up, I almost kind of think it's funny. So I don't know what to think. I'm just in the middle on this one. I don't know yeah, what to think. Yeah. Honestly, Kyle, I think uh, repeat viewings are going to be kind to you. Yeah. Like, you're, you're honestly, right. I, I think it gets better with repeat viewings. That's my opinion. I know a lot of people aren't going to share that sentiment, but I think it's a goofy, ridiculous movie that is nowhere near the quality of uh, one or three, but it's not necessarily a gigantic piece of shit like I grew up thinking it was. Yeah, yeah, because... Again, it, it's all about balance, and I think um, when you're watching a movie for the first time, you and even cr- critics, they'd always say it's good to watch a movie two times, because the first time you're always guessing, you're trying to anticipate, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, whatever. So your your mind is not always focused on just, okay, give me what, what the movie is, and I'll I'll take it as it is. Like You're just trying to anticipate, and sometimes when it goes against what you had in mind, then that creates conflict and you're asking yourself questions while you're watching it. And that, that can make a, an experience pretty weird. And, uh, I could and not agree with more. a bunch of movies. Yeah. For me. And, um, uh, so when you're just watching it, okay, I know what it is now. Like, I'll just have fun. Look at the kills. Like, like, Seb, some, Seb, something you don't, you don't know about Kyle is he hosted a podcast for a couple of years called the second viewing where he watches movies twice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's very well versed on that. Uh, that I'm versed in the, the theory, and I and couldn't I, agree more. And I agree I mean, as well. Look at me and Doctor Sleep. <laughs> right, that's a great, great like, example. I went, I went from really not liking that movie to thinking it's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> um, yeah. and I yeah. do try to keep that in mind. Like, um, I keep that in mind, yeah, especially when it's a movie. Fair I fair on I everything you said. You were totally fair on everything. Yeah, so. yeah well, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you guys, let's wrap up here. Thank you so much for coming on, Seb. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, we will hear from you again on the show at some point. But uh, thanks for joining. And, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next time on The Terror Table. <laughs>